my Lanta. Oh, my Lanta. Hey there, Tanner fans. Angela Bowen here, the host of Oh My Lanta, Holy Chalupas, an unofficial Full House, Fuller House podcast. Well, today I am covering the second episode of the double feature. I don't know what this cat is doing. Again, she's being a menace. Yes, the second episode of the breakup double feature. And that is Season 7, Episode 19, entitled Love on the Rocks, which aired at March 1st, 1994. In this episode, DJ tells Becky that she has worried her relationship with Steve. Oh, she's worried about her relationship with Steve. After Steve goes to a seminar in Los Angeles with his film class. Oh, here we go. Someone else actually wrote a longer synopsis here on IMDb. Thank you. When she starts having... When she starts hanging out with Kimmy and her new boyfriend, who can't keep their hands off of each other, DJ realizes that she and Steve have really cooled off. So when Steve goes on a class trip to Los Angeles, you know, because Steve's in college and DJ's still in high school, DJ contemplates whether or not the two of them have a future as a couple. Meanwhile, after Joey pulls a prank on the rest of the family, they make a plan to have the last laugh. Yeah, they do. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> kind of backfires in their faces. And of course, I always like to do the DVD, synop- uh, DVD case synopsis. You can see best from a mountaintop. A hike leads DJ to make a big decision about her relationship with Steve. And I thought that one was alright. That wasn't too bad. Sometimes they're hit or miss, but this one actually was... T- it's pretty decent. Because in a way, it's kind of like when you're on a mountaintop, you can see, I'll put it in DJ's words, you can see forever. Or you can get a bigger perspective. Like, you can see the big picture. Um, I remember reading Andrea Barber's memoir, I think it was around last November, called Full Circle. And she mentioned a guy that Kimmy had to kiss in the later seasons that I guess she just either didn't get along with, didn't feel comfortable with, and it just it was an awkward situation all the way around. And I remember talking about this when I covered the, you know, did a review on the book. And I'm like, I know, I bet 100% who she's speaking of. She's speaking of the guy that she's in this episode with because guys we can count on what maybe uh not even a whole hand how many guys that Kimmy was with in the later seasons Dwayne and this dude and I'm not even going to count her small little stint with uh Nelson because well I'm just not so this episode's got a 6.7 out of 10 based on 169 ratings we do have guest starring Brian Evans as Keanu 
Uh, of course, I think his name is John, but Kimmy just loves calling him Keanu. And looking at his IMDb page, he really, he doesn't have much on here. An episode of Beverly Hills 90210 in 1990, he played Track Kid, Track Kid number one. Uh, he played in the movie The Barefoot Executive in 1995. Creature at the Bates Motel. Apparently he played himself. And something called It's a Beautiful Game. And he played himself. Interesting. Okay, well, you know, good for him. Good for him. Let's see here. Uh, Suzanne, Suzanne Summers guest stars. I remember watching this episode. And I, of course, at the time was watching Step by Step as well. Was I watching it Step by Step at this time? I can't remember. I definitely dipped out of that show. It's like whenever they do a preview to an episode, I'm like, oh, that one looks interesting. I think I'll check that one out. But I wasn't like a, I might have been a repeat viewer like back in the beginning of Step by Step. But I, towards the end, I was like, eh, I'm not as into it. Danny Scott playing lottery host. All right. This was, this episode was directed by Tom Ricard. Writers Jeff Franklin, the creator, and Ellen Gulas. Is that how you say Gulas? G-U-Y-L-A-S. She also is credited as a writer for this episode. Which is good because it's dealing with DJ's female perspective of a breakup. Because she is the one that actually initiates it. I can imagine even for Steve, I mean, this whole thing, I'm not saying she really... If you want to say, like, she kind of ambushes him with that. Like, she does not really... I'm sure for Steve, this whole thing just comes out of nowhere. The title for this episode is from the Neil Diamond song written for The Jazz Singer, 1980. Uh, let's see. Goofs. When Danny sits down to join DJ for tea, her hands are touching the cup, then her arms are suddenly folded. Continuity. Joey's attempt to prank the prank makes no sense. <laughs> he tries to tell the family that there was no tape in the VCR and that they were really watching the live show. If that were the case, then the lottery would have drawn the same exact numbers two weeks in a row since Joey's winning ticket had last week's numbers on it. Yeah, I don't get this whole thing, lottery thing either, but it is what it is. <laughs> I'm not going to question it. <laughs> Jody Sweeten actually broke her left arm during the taping of Love on the Rocks, but is holding up her right arm as if she broke that one. The intro to the next episode, she is holding up her left arm with a sling. Revealing mistakes. When Keanu starts to climb the final stretch of the mountain, it cuts to an overhead shot, and the floor of the soundstage is visible in the lower left corner. I will see if I can look for that. And I mean, that, we're all Full House fanatics, right? We're, we're That's why we listen to the podcasts of Full House and stuff like them, Fuller House. And we, this is, this is good. You know, those that really, and I even find myself catching stuff that even after repeated viewings of episodes, I wouldn't have caught unless I was covering it like in full detail for the podcast. So... I got I gotta I gotta give it to my other full house fanatics. Thank you for catching this stuff. This is this is just it's interesting. It's interesting. You think you know an episode because you've seen it so many times, but 
it always turns out to surprise you in some way. All right, so we got two reviews, user reviews here. Um, I believe if you haven't caught up with the episodes, I am no longer reviewing Power Mandans or the Ever Faithful Power Mandan as I deemed them. Um, they made a derogatory comment in a user review in a Full House episode, Fuller House episode, and I just thought it was very offensive. And I decided then and then I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not. I mean, yes, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but it's like, you could have used another word to describe Max's unicorn. That's what I'm going to say about that. All right. First review, 7 out of 10, titled The End of an Era. This is by Daniel Berardi, April 14th, 2019, warning spoilers. Out of all the love interests on both shows, Steve has remained the best. Kimmy and her new boyfriend, Keanu, can't keep their hands off each other. Meanwhile, DJ and Steve have been fighting a little more since Steve has been taking some new college courses. Okay, fighting, really, they they get into arguments. Okay, when I think fighting, I mean, I think full-on shouting. I think fighting also is just hateful words and stuff like that. Arguments are below fighting. And that's how there's... You won't even call it an argument. Call it a disagreement, if you will. But anyway. <clears throat> His latest course has him in Los Angeles, where he meets Suzanne Summers, wanting to have some fun of her own. DJ goes with Kimmy and Keanu. Keanu... <laughs> Mountain climbing. She gets a newfound sense of respect for herself. The subplot involves Joey pulling pranks on the rest of the house, so they cook up a prank involving the lottery and him. Cute. DJ and Steve mutually breaking up is really sad. First Papuli dies, now DJ and Steve break up. I guess it had to happen sometime. Well, I mean, and I'm kind of wondering, let's just say Scott Wanger, he didn't want to go to college at the time. Let's just say, let's just say. How would their relationship with Steve and DJ still have carried on? And uh, one thing that really, and I did say in the last episode with Danny and Vicky that I was going to bring this up with DJ and Steve, being this is their their episode here, is I'm losing my train of thought. Okay, is at the end, you know, of the episode, DJ chooses, you know, herself. You know, she's like, I'm going to be fine, and then she proceeds in season eight to date. Nelson and then Viper and then she breaks up with both of them or whatever and DJ DJ's choice honestly in my eyes in season eight is a weak sauce episode it really really was but she chooses herself why would you break up with Steve I mean yeah I get it that's the first boy she's ever really full-on dated dated but why would you do that just to I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I know that, you know, as teenagers, you know, parents are like, oh, you gotta, you know, not just stick to one person. Go mingle. Meet different people. It's like, I, I guess, but it's not like you're gonna meet the one you want to marry. You know, maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you do meet the one you want, you're gonna marry in high school. Who knows? But, I don't know. Alright. Let's get to the next review, 7 out of 10, titled The One with Joey's Amazing Prank. This is by Taylor Kingston. This is from January 19th, 2016. Warning spoilers. I honestly don't love this episode, but it is definitely worth watching. I don't care much for Steve and DJ's relationship. 
But since a lot of the episode is Joey's prank, that is true. His prank gets full center. And Kimmy's new relationship, I am happy to watch when it comes up. In this episode, Kimmy gets a new boyfriend and they can't keep their hands off each other. When DJ sees this, she realizes how she and Steve have slowed down their passion for one another. She realizes that her relationship isn't as steamy and as hot and heavy as it used to be. Then, when Steve goes on a class trip, DJ contemplates whether the two have a future as a couple. Meanwhile, Joey plays a glorious prank on the rest of the family. But when the tables turn, Joey isn't laughing anymore. Best part of the episode, Kimmy. <laughs> Kimmy's the best part of this episode. Worst part of the episode, Steve and DJ's relationship. Overall, I give this episode a 7 out of 10, which in my ratings book is great. Now, I always like to let the Tanner newbies know who have just discovered the Oh My Land to Holy Chulubus Fuller House, Full House Fuller House podcast. Want to let you know where you can find the podcast on social media. The podcast has its own Facebook page. Just type in Full House Podcast or Fuller House Podcast. The Oh My Land to Holy Chulubus podcast will pop up in the search bar. It should anyway. Also, Instagram, OMHC Full House Fuller House Podcast. On Twitter, it's OMHC Full House. Also, if you want to be included on, the sh on an episode... If you want to have opinions on an episode that I've covered already or plan to cover and you want to get your voice heard, you can send an email to omhcfhfhpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you've been enjoying the podcast for a while and you want to find a way to support the podcast, I do not do Patreon. This content is free for me to you because I love the show and I love to spread the Tanner love all over. So, all I ask in return is if you got a minute or a second, jump on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, search for the All My Lanta Holy Chalupas Full House Fuller House podcast on Apple or iTunes. And leave a review. That's all you got to do. Every five-star review this podcast gets, gets it noticed by other Full House fanatics like yourselves. Also, if you're just tuning in from taking a little break from the podcast, or you're used to four episodes a week, I have cut back just due to the um, time constraint that I have. Currently, I'm displaced from my apartment. I'm in a hotel room. I don't have a lot of time to record because it's basically one room and my husband gets home in the evening and there's just nowhere that I can have the space and quietness to be able to record a podcast since my entire laptop, Blu-ray player, this stuff just takes up this whole table. Uh, it, it's been an adjustment, let me tell you. We've, we're already entering our second week here. And it's it's alright. It's it's not bad. I'm anxious to kind of get back and get things, you know, put back at the apartment and get my podcast room reset up and get back. Uh, yeah, so right now it's just Full House is going to be, you know, a couple times a month. And that way I can also cover an episode of Punky Brewster a month. 
And with Boy Meets World and the Different Strokes podcast, those are just going to be kind of when I can get to them. I already have an episode set list that I have episodes to pick from, so don't worry about that. So, all right, without further ado, let's get into the last episode of the Breakup Double Feature. Of course, before we actually get into the episode, we get to see the cold open. I love the cold opens. They're so adorable. It's like a little nugget of extra scene, of extra time with the Tanner family. So this one looks like we are in the living room with Michelle and Nikki and Alex. So Michelle is playing Simon Says with the kids, with the boys. And Michelle says, Dance like you have ants in your pants. It's almost like she's kind of running in place. <laughs> and the boys copy her. Michelle says, Simon says, stop. And the boys stop. And then she says, sit on the floor. But they sat on the floor. They lost. Michelle bends down and says, boys, stand up. I didn't say Simon says. And of course, either Nikki or Alex. One's in white. One's in like a cream white shirt and the other one is like in a forest green colored shirt and they're like who's simon he's bossy michelle tells them you can only move when simon says it's the rules and one of the boys does the a-okay sign he's like okie dokie <laughs> i don't know if that was trying to be their the boys's catchphrase or one of the one of the boys's catchphrases because we hear the okie dokie in like season eight and stuff like that I want to see if I can find out when the game Simon Says, when it started, when it originated, maybe the inventor. I bet anything Simon Says was created by a parent that was practically ripping their hair out because their kids would not calm down and listen to them. I honestly, I, I just, I feel like Simon Says was seriously created by a parent. Okay, so I didn't find the origins of who created the game Simon Says or when it was created, or any of that. Um, Wikipedia does say that it's been referenced in Die Hard with a Vengeance, Police Academy, Demolition Man, The Gift, TV series Underdog and Supernatural, as well as being played in television game shows, including 1970s shows Superstars and Battle of the Network Reality Stars. The phrase occurs twice in Thelma and Louise for comic effect. Jeez. Simon says everybody lay down on the floor. First, the outlaw on the run character JD, Brad Pitt, tells how he usually sets off to do an armed robbery. Later on, we find out in the flashback scene of the movie that Thelma, Gina Davis, uses exactly the same phrase when robbing a store. I have not seen Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise actually does get a mention by Stephanie in an, in an episode. I mean, the references go on and on and on to different shows. I think even Barney and Friends was mentioned. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's the cold open. Simon says, dance like you have ants in your pants. <laughs> Simon says, stop. Sit on the floor. Boys, stand up. I never said Simon says. Who's his Simon? You can only move when Simon says. It's the rules. Okie dokie. Alright gang, ice cream time. Oh, I didn't see this part. 
Oh, you'll have to tell Michelle Dad, twice. So you can get up. Uncle Jesse, they just learned how to play Simon Says. Oh, Simon Says. All right. Simon Says. Time for ice cream. Yeah! Come on, go get it. You got to remember that at bath time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or bedtime. <laughs> so, gosh, I thought that was the end of the scene. Apparently not. Jesse comes in with, uh, says, ice cream time. Michelle, you don't got to tell her twice. And then <laughs> Nikki and Alex are still sitting on the floor saying, we can't. And Michelle tells Jesse that uh, I was showing them how to do Simon Says. And Jesse's like, oh, well, Simon Says, come and get some ice cream. And the boys get up and run into the kitchen. And Jesse's like, gosh, I got to remember that at bath time. I say, or even bedtime, even. Simon Says, get in your bed and go to sleep. <laughs> All right, so we come out of the intro. Danny, of course, is using some lemon pledge to buff his coffee table as Kimmy comes in with her new boyfriend, Keanu. And Kimmy always has, whether she's calling him Mr. T, here she's calling Danny Mr. Teabag, which... Weird. <laughs> no, she says, hey, teabag. Oh, God. And then, of course, uh, bringing in the rear are Steve and DJ. DJ showing off that wonderful 90s flannel fashion. So, John, <laughs> Keanu goes to shake Danny's hand and realizes, you know, Kimmy's still attached to the hand. And he's like, oh, well, actually, my name is John. But Kimmy just loves calling me Keanu. <laughs> I love how Danny is imitating John. Like, actually, my name is Danny. <laughs> Kimmy just can't remember it. And I'm thinking, Danny, when have you ever told Kimmy to call you by your first name? I know she's called him Mr. T countless times, but she is never going to call you Danny. Gosh, I don't even think she calls him Danny in Fuller House, now that I think about it. She's usually Mr. Tanner. Well, how many? Gosh, when did she? She probably started calling him Mr. Tanner back, like, in the beginning when Kimmy first appeared on Fuller House and stuff like that. I think she called him T-Bone at one point. Hey, T-Bone, or hey, T-Bag, or... Gosh, you want to know what this reminds me of? The character Angela, who's the best friend of Heather from Mr. Belvedere, she could never get Mr. Belvedere's name right. It's like, hey, Mr. Bumper Snatch or something like that, or Mr. Benedict or whatever. Mr. Bumper Butt. I gotta say, I like Danny in this white t-shirt, and then he's got kind of this beige-colored button-up sleeveless vest. I don't know why, but it just, it works for Bob Saga. He, he's done that before where he's had, like, the white t-shirt and then had, like, a black vest over it. And it's just, I don't know. Oh, it just, it makes me, like, I think, you know, makes Danny, like, attractive. Like I said, season seven through eight, Danny hair is really, especially, oh, season seven. I like, I like his hair. I like his hair. So Danny, of course, leaves the teens alone. And as Steve is talking about, like, gosh, I still can't get over that movie we saw. Keanu and Kimmy are making out heavily. 
And Steve mentioned Sidichi. You know, see, now that I'm taking this film class, I can appreciate all the symbolism, all the metaphor, all the subtext. And Dichi's like, Steve, we saw Ernest get the bee bite. And Kimmy breaks away from her kiss with Keanu, and she's got this serious, confused look. She's looking at DJ and Steve like they're from Mars. And she says, you two actually watched the movie? And DJ's like, well, Kimmy, movies aren't just making out. And I love how Kimmy laughs. They're like, oh, wait, you're serious. And she looks at Keanu and says, hey, let's get going before we get weird. Oh, no, I think she says, hey, let's get out of here before we get boring. Can't believe Kimmy called DJ and Steve boring. Gosh, Steve looks good in that jacket that DJ got him for Christmas. Midnight Sun League. It's just, I like it even more than his, um, his Bayside, um, leather, uh, Letterman's jacket. Steve's hair is so good. I like how it's nice, kind of, you know, gelled and, oh, it just looks so good. Oh, no, DJ says a relationship isn't just making out. She says that to Kimmy. And Kimmy just laughs it off like it's the funniest thing in the world. She's like, oh, my God, you're serious. Even Keanu kind of looking at DJ like he, like, I, I'm confused right now. I don't get you. And I love how DJ and Steve watch Kimmy and Keanu leave. And DJ's like, boring and Steve says that is so far off and they go they turn to each other and they go to kiss and then they break away from the kiss like Ugh. like you almost kind of put it mm. yeah they quickly kiss she breaks away and she's like, oh so anyway you want to watch tv and Steve of course is looking at his watch like so yeah, she's like, hey, I got the remote tonight. I don't know where anyone else is. Everyone's doing their own thing, I guess. And Steve's like, no, Deej, let's not watch TV. So he sits her down and tells her, you know, my film class is going down to L.A. for a special seminar next week. And this has got, Deej's irritated because, you know, that's her school vacation next week. She thought, you know, they'd finally be able to hang out. I'm like, well, wait a second. Because usually I thought, like, with college, their spring break, like, is in March. And, you know, from back in my school days, our spring break was, like, in April. Like, the f first or second week in April. And I'm just thinking, what if he didn't have that seminar to go to? When he's, if he's not on spring break, the time that she's on spring break, he'd still have classes and stuff that he have to go to. So it's not like, I don't know. So they already, I guess, kind of make plans because she's like, it's my school vacation. I thought we'd be together. And he's like, well, I know, but my professor picked me and five other people out of the entire class. And my guess is a film class in a college, I would imagine classes like that fill up very, very quickly. Granted, this is like 1994, so I can imagine nowadays they'd fill up twice as fast because who doesn't want to go out there and get a, a film degree of sorts? Whether you're making movies, you're reviewing movies, you're being a critic, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you don't have to have a degree to 
review a movie. I surely don't have a movie. And when I review movies, I do it. It's stuff I want to do because I've seen it and I love it. And apparently, um, Steve's teacher picked him because Steve feels she notices that he's got a critical eye. Whenever she starts a film reel, he'll shout up behind him like, Hey, hey, focus! And, of course, DJ's not laughing. He's trying to make a joke, you know, make light of it. And he feels guilty. So he's like, all right, all right, I'll stay. And she tells him, no, 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 you go. Go do this because it's a good experience for you. It is. This is, this is what I'm curious about. We really don't see much of Steve after the breakup because, you know, Scott Wanger, he went on to college. But how do we go from Steve taking a film class? I don't know what other classes he was taking at college, but how do we go from that to in Fuller House? He's been a podiatrist for over 20 years. I don't know. Gosh, that sounds like more of a... I mean, when I think podiatry... I think Kimmy, because of, you know, her foot issues in the later seasons of Full House. Because she had, like, rancid foot odor that would just make anyone pass out from the stench. It was bad. And the thing is, they've been making their relationship work. This is almost the end of season seven. They've been dating since the beginning of season six. And she knew it would be an adjustment, him going to college and stuff, and they're not seeing each other all the time. But they've made it work. So why is it this one thing, him going away for a week, and he's still in the same state and everything. It's not like they can't call each other. You know, I'm sure he's staying in a hotel room or something somewhere. I mean, I'm sure he could call back to San Francisco. It's like, why is this the deciding fact? Well, no, the deciding factor for her to want to break up is just something that adds more fuel to the fire later on when uh, he ends up, you know, calling her from a payphone and then he gets interrupted by Suzanne Summers. But more on that later. But then again, maybe this could be her feeling they are kind of not connecting like they used to. They're not clicking like they used to. And I think it's because, I think it could be the age difference. Like, she is a junior in high school. She doesn't start senior year until season eight. And if he's in college, then that means that he's two years older than her. This is only her his first year in college. Then again, I think that when teenagers, like, date steadily, like, date a year Six months a year is a long time in teenage relationships. Especially if you're not dating it, you're just exclusively dating the one person. That uh, a year is a long time. <laughs> hey, T-Bag. Meet my new boyfriend, Keanu. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, actually, my name is John... Kimmy just likes calling me Keanu. Actually, my name is Danny. <laughs> Danny. Kimmy just can't remember it. She would never call you Danny anyway. I still can't get over that movie. See, now that I'm taking this film class, I, I can appreciate all the, all the symbolism, you know, all the metaphor, the, the subtext. Steve, we saw Ernest gets a bee bite. 
you two actually watch the movie? <laughs> Kimmy, a relationship isn't just making out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you're serious. <laughs> Come on, let's get out of here before we get boring. <laughs> boring? That is so far off. I'm sure John's wearing looks like something that uh, Joey would wear. So, you want to watch TV? <laughs> is going down to L.A. for a special seminar next week. Next week? Well, that's my school vacation. I thought we'd be together. I know. I know. I feel terrible. But, but my professor picked me and five other people out of the whole class. She says I have a critical eye. I guess it's because whenever she shows a film, I'm always the first guy to yell, Hey, hey, focus! <laughs> You're not laughing. All right, I'll stay. No, no. It's a good opportunity for you. Of course it is. Prestige of the best. Don't make him feel guilty for going to college and taking a class and going on a trip. Alright, in the next scene, it's still dark out, yet everyone is downstairs dressed for the day. Which is weird. Why is it still dark out? We got Stephanie yawning, Danny yawning, and it's like, they normally like this in the morning? No, there's a reason. There is a reason. <laughs> I'm going to play this clip. Oh my goodness. What is going on here? <coughs> Why is everyone so tired? Well, I'd ask Mickey and Alex, but I don't want to wake them. <coughs> <laughs> They're asleep at the table, poor kid. Hey, uh, where the heck's the newspaper at? <coughs> Checked all the usual places, the hedge under the car, Gibbler's coffee table. <laughs> Oh, there's the culprit right there, Joey. <laughs> you guys won't believe this. I was driving to the health club, and according to the radio, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. It's not 5 o'clock in the morning, it's 8 o'clock, look. Yeah, because it's pitch black at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> morning, breast. It's not even April yet. I know, but every year when I try and catch you guys with an April Fool's joke, you expect it. This, however, was brilliant. <laughs> you were totally surprised. I changed every watch and clock in the house. Apparently changed the clock I in the car, too. Really, when I woke up, I didn't even need to go to the bathroom. Joey, I think I speak for everyone in the house, but I say to you, pack your bags, you're moving out. Get out. Oh, 100%. Get out, Joey. Come on, you guys. It was a joke. Isn't anybody going to be a good sport? No. Forget it. You're going down, Gladstone. Yeah, it is. Look on the bright side. We get a couple hours extra sleep. No one's going to be able to fall asleep. <laughs> Back asleep. I'll get the kids. Good morning. Baby breakfast. No. <laughs> now listen. A little mix up here, and now we're gonna get a couple more hours of sleep this morning, fellas. What are you gonna do? Put them back in their pajamas? <laughs> I've already dressed them. I can imagine that was a, a chore. I think I'll put them in Joey's bed. Yeah. So Danny's like, gosh, what's going on here? Why is everyone so sleepy? And DJ's like, well, I'd ask Nikki and Alex, but I don't want to wake them. Because she's sitting at the table, and 
<laughs> Nikki and Alex are asleep at the table. Their heads are on the table. And here comes Joey, all like, Top of the morning, where are my lucky charms? Doing an Irish accent. Before Joey even comes down the stairs, Jesse comes through the living room into the kitchen. He's like, hey, where the heck's the newspaper at? I mean, I checked all the usual places. The hedge. The curb. Gibbler's coffee table. How is he checking their coffee table? Is he walking into their house? Or can he see their coffee table from the... Because I thought that the tanners, the door to the front... The front doors, don't they have, like, glass, like, frosted panels or something? Window, frosted window panels? So if that's the case, then the house next to it probably might have that, too. I don't know. How are... I... I you know what? I'm not even gonna jump down that rabbit hole. So, um, yeah. Becky comes in. Looks like she must go work out in the morning before she has to go to... Um, you know, wake up San Francisco, which must be nice to be able to do that and still have time to come home, shower, and get all glammed up for a talk show. But, yeah, she comes in and says, according to the radio station, it's 5 a.m. I'm like, Joey's a piece of work. Not only do we learn that he changed every watch and clock in the house, he went into Becky's car and probably Danny's and changed their radio clocks. So when you turn it on, it's going to show that time. Did he do the same thing to the VCR also? Because you know you can set a timer on that. You can set um, the time on that as well. You know, I just, I kind of realize now in the day and age, the digital age, that we have so many things now that we rely on that tells us the time versus looking at the clock. <laughs> like, I'll be like, gosh, what time is it? I'll go right for my phone. But even the microwave, the microwave would have time on it too. The, I think maybe even some of the ovens have times on it. A lot of things tell us the time. So, I mean, unless he just resorted to changing the clocks in the vehicles, the watches, and every single... So, if he said every single clock in the house, that means he hit everything. But here, okay, here's what I'm thinking. You go along your weekday, usually around, you know, when it's 8 a.m. It's not pitch black outside, like it's like 6 in the morning in December. I remember when I would have to wait for the school bus in, like, late November, December, and I my bus would come and get me at, like, 6.55 in the morning. I know, extremely early. And it would be pitch black outside. It's not going to be pitch black at 8 a.m. No way. Usually the sun is in it. Usually it'll rise, what, sometime between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m., I thought. It ain't going to wait till 8 o'clock in the morning to start rising. But it just, I mean, that right away, I'd be, I'd be like, it is not, I would, because even Michelle's like, yeah, I knew it wasn't 8 o'clock because when I woke, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? You probably got to go to the bathroom because you've been holding it all night. Exactly. Michelle, in the, season 7 especially, they put Michelle, they pull her hair back and put it, 
in like a little ponytail thing, but they have these huge donut size, jumbo donut size scrunchies that they're constantly, season seven and eight, it's like the scrunchie is practically taking over the back of her head. And it just makes me think of Nellie Olson from Little House on the Prairie, seasons like one through six. You know, she had those gi- literally giant bows that took up all of the back of her head. Jesse even says he checked under the car and the hedge. You know, the usual places, also the Gibbler's coffee table. Oh, before Becky even walks in the door, boom, here comes Joey, all chipper and like, Oh, top of the morning to you, where's my lucky charms? Like, there's your culprit right there. Everyone else is yawning and practically half asleep. Or half asleep or practically asleep. He comes down with a chipper attitude. I wait, that's your culprit right there. Everyone else is yawning. If you wanted to play a practical joke on somebody, you don't give yourself away by being chipper. I mean, honestly, if I were Joey... I would have also done the same thing. They were like, oh, gosh, what time is it? Oh, is it eight already? Oh, gosh. Anyone else? Anyone else? You know, that reaction. You're not going to. He's blowing his cover already. But then again, he's like, April Fool's. And even Jesse's like, it's not even April yet. And Joey's jumping the gun on this thing because whenever I pull an April Fool's prank, you always expect it. Well, yeah, because it's April Fool's, April 1st, and Joey is the com- like king of comedy in that house. So she's got a bag of probably the clothes that she'll put on after she's done working out. Because she's... Clearly going to go to the health club, work out, take a shower there, and then come back. You're not going to work out, (laughs) drive home in your sweaty, stinky clothes, and then take a shower. No. I'm guessing she was on her way to the health club, and that place was not open. (laughs) But then again, if you're driving to through town, you're probably noticing a lot of places that aren't open. My gosh, the Mickey D's. Well, they would be open at 5 a.m. No, they would not. At 5 a.m., they are not open at 5 a.m. Maybe 6, maybe 5.30 at the earliest, but they are not open at 5 a.m. Jesse actually has a watch on a chain. Like I said, this is this is 1994, folks. This is before cell phones, so. I, even, I bet anything, that coffee maker probably even has has a clock on it, too. So when Becky's like, oh, according to the radio, you know, the announcer, it's 5 a.m. And when Jesse pulls out his, you know, clock on a chain, he's like, no, it's not 5 a.m. It's 8 a.m. See? And then Joey pretty much gives himself away. (laughs) If I had to get up in the morning and someone pulled that kind of crap with me. I would be livid. I would be blowing my top in anger. Seriously. If you woke me up at 5 a.m. And I had to be up and ready to go within a couple hours. I guess they normally wake up at... What time does school start for those kids? They wake up at 8? They can't wake up at 8. 
do they? Elementary school, I think school started like sometime around like nine. And then junior high, it was like maybe eight. High school started at like 7.35 or something like that. If you're not waking, are they seriously waking up at eight? What time did Danny and Becky go on Wake Up? Wake Up San Francisco sounds like it's going to be on at like 10 a.m. Okay, here's a question. Could Joey have not pulled this on like, oh, I don't know, a Saturday? When it's like, it's fine, it's fine. Let's all just go back to sleep. To pull it on a week? Oh my god. That's unforgivable. That's unforgivable, Gladstone, honestly. And Joey's going on about how this plan was brilliant. You guys were totally surprised. I changed every watch and clock in the house. So everything that could tell time is now saying like five, I don't know, 515, 525, who knows. And this is where Michelle says, you know, I knew it was too early. When I woke up, I didn't even have to go to the bathroom. And Danny is like, you know, Joey, I think I speak for everyone in this house when I say, pack your bags, you're moving out, get out. And everyone's like, yeah, get out, Gladstone. He's like, come on, guys. It was a joke. Is it any, anybody going to be a good sport? Well, let me see, Joey. Do you have to get up in the morning and go anywhere? Hmm, well, I don't think you do, since you don't come on the radio until, like, 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, Danny, Becky, and the kids all have somewhere to be around, like, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. Joey gets to sleep in, so he don't care if he woke everyone up. He's like, I can go on, man, man. I love Stephanie in the overall. She's like, forget it. You're going down, Gladstone. Is it just me, or does Stephanie wear a overalls quite a bit in season seven and eight? So Danny's like, all right, everybody, look on the bright side. We can get a couple hours extra sleep. Are you seriously? I mean, maybe they can aren't the type of people that can, when their head hits the pillow again, they can just, boom, they're out. I can't do that. I had to get up for an appointment this morning at, like, well, I got up when Jeremy got up at 6.30, but still, if I know I have to get up in the morning for an appointment, I am barely, even with my, even with my sleeping pill, I am up, like, every other hour like staring at the clock because that's just how my internal clock is what is weird I just I don't know but it's like I am not falling back asleep for a couple hours I am up I'm even when I came back from my appointment it was like going on 10 a.m like I'm clearly not falling back asleep I know it's gonna hit me later it's probably like six seven o'clock at night I'm gonna be on like oh, should have Fall back asleep when I had the chance. Joey's still in his Irish Lucky Charms accent. Ooh, top of the day to I'm like, Joey, you don't have the right to speak right now. So I would zip it. Everyone would be, oh, I would. I would. So Danny and uh, Michelle and Stephanie all head upstairs along with Joey. So Jess is like, all right, I'll get the kids. And of course, here they wake up and they, good morning, time for and Jesse says, now it's not time for breakfast. Look, there's been a mix-up. We're going to get some extra sleep, all right? And of course, he's like, no sleep, no sleep. And they start shaking their heads. And Jesse's like, yeah, sleep. And he, put, he tucks one under each arm. He's like, I think I'll put him in Joey's bed. And I'm like, yeah, 
He deserves that. You do that, Jesse. <laughs> it's like, they just went through the chores of having to put those kids in the clothes they'll wear for the rest of the day. You're not telling me they're going to end up like, okay, kids, let's put your pajamas back on <laughs> for a couple hours. Those kids are not going back to sleep either. They are up. Do you ever, like, if you're not, you know, I'm not a morning, I'm not at all. And, like, you have to get up for something, like an appointment like I had to. Does it ever kind of mess up your day a little bit? Like, you're not fully awake throughout the day because you had to get up earlier than you normally would. Like, it kind of throws your day off. That's how I kind of feel. <laughs> Jesse trying to go up the stairs when those kids are, like, apparently falling out from under his arms. So Becky was going to go follow Jesse upstairs, but she notices that DJ is hasn't gone up. She's the only one down there right now. And she's like, DJ, are you okay? And this is where DJ opens up about what's kind of going on with her and Steve. And she asks Becky for advice. Like, you and Jesse have been together, you know, forever, it seems like. You know, what keeps the magic going with you two? yeah, Becky asks her if she's going back to sleep and, you know, you going upstairs? And DJ's like, no, I can't sleep. And Becky takes that as the invitation that DJ wants to talk. And she says that um, she and Steve are having some issues. You know, you ought to see Kimmy and Keanu. They can't, you gotta, like, they can't keep their hands off each other. You gotta prime them apart with the jaws of life. And DJ says, you know, Steve and I used to be like that. And she says, you know, we never wanted to be apart for a minute. And Becky says, you know, it's normal for a relationship to go through changes. And Becky says, you know, the first stage is always hot because it's new. And that's the thing that it is. It's really, it's new. It's exciting because you're getting to know each other and all this stuff. But let's just say that DJ and Steve have been together. Let's just say they've been together for a year, right? You're, yeah, Becky is 100% right. Your relationship is going to go through different stages. The beginning's hot and heavy, and then you're eventually going to realize, you know, if you want this relationship to work, you're both going to have to work at it. You know, find things you can do together that you haven't done before to kind of create that spark. It, it it almost seems like in, in relationships, especially once, you know, in the beginning, you're, I can even, you know, refer to the, is like, you know, in, in marriage, you know, you're newlyweds and you're learning things about each other and everything. But then let's say you get to the five-year stage where you're gotten adjusted, you're comfortable, you know each other's good points and bad points and everything. You get to the 10-year stage. You get to the 15-year stage. And then at some point in the marriage, it feels like you know almost everything you possibly could know about that other person. And sometimes maybe even you feel things are going a little steel. Like, oh, back in the beginning, we used to write emails to each other and everything. And we used to go out and do things. But then it's like responsibilities get in the way. I mean, we don't have kids, but we have jobs and stuff like that, too. So it's like you make time for each other when you can. And at some point along the way, you go from being, you know, lovers and friends to eventually being companions. And just being, you know, 
you know, good company for each other. And that's, you know, even if you don't share the same interests and stuff, you find things to do together and you do things to, like, recreate this work. Like, hey, just, you're just going to, you know, relationships got to work, but you kind of want it to work and you got to put in the effort. You can't just be coasting along on the fumes of what was because that doesn't help. And maybe, maybe DJ does see that things are going a little stale. You know, when she and DJ, when DJ and Steve saw each other all the time in school and ever, they're seeing so much, they couldn't get enough of each other. And then things changed when he started going to college and they were maybe seeing each other, I'd say on the weekends. That's a lot of time to, you know, whether they're calling each other every night, who knows, who knows, but you make it work. You just, you make it work. And think about all the time and investment, you know, that you put into a relationship, the time that you spend with that one person. That is a lot of time invested. And I think in a way I can see where parents wouldn't want their kids to tie themselves down so early to one person because Steve and DJ are both changing. Steve's becoming more independent because he's out on his own. He's in college and everything. DJ's two years younger, so she's still living in the high school world. And they are kind of in two different worlds. And it almost seems like sometimes people are meant to be at a certain time in their life. They're not meant to be together. Maybe they are meant to be together, but maybe it's more like they will be more ready for each other when they've both grown individually and they can come together. Like, on Fuller House, DJ and Steve, they're both adults. They've both gone through their own stuff. And they finally, they've grown as individuals, and now they can come together. And it's just, like, they're kind of, like, at the same, the same point. They're both, yeah. That's what I think, anyway. We knew that DJ and Steve, you know, their end game. I mean, in the end, they were going to, they were going to be with each other. But you gotta let yourself, you know, see other people too. Just, you'll know, see what all is out there to be able to come back to your, you know, this person if they are your true love. Okay, at this point I'm kind of rambling, so let's get out with <laughs> Sorry, guys. And DJ asks, and when it's not, it's not so new. And I just, I love Becky's advice. She says, then you find out if you have more going on than just the initial attraction. It's one thing to be physically attra uh, attracted to somebody, but it's another thing to be attracted to them on an emo emotional level. Like, physical attraction is only going to go so far. you got to have something else in the chamber besides, oh, this person's great to look at. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But do they have a personality? Do they have interests that interest you? Do you want to get to know this person enough to know what they do? You know, what's their day like? What's their daily, you know? get to know them on a daily basis and learn someone's habits that are great and not so great. That's another thing that makes a relationship work. If you can deal with your significant other's habits that kind of grate on your nerves and, and <laughs> then you know you're making it. <laughs> it's all about the little things. Becky says, you know, find out if you have the same interests and stuff. And this is where DJ says, yeah, but you and Uncle Jesse have been together forever and you're still hot for each other. And I love how Becky says, that's one of our interests. <laughs> hey, Beach, aren't you going back to bed? No, I don't think I can sleep. What's the problem? 
Me and Steve. I mean, you should see Kimmy and Keanu. You have to pry them apart with the jaws of life. <laughs> Steve and I used to be like that. And we never wanted to be apart for a minute. Well, you know, it's normal for a relationship to go through stages. I mean, the first stage is always hot because it's new. And when it's not so new? Well, then you have to find out if you have more going on than just the initial attraction. You know, find out if you have the same interests. Yeah, but you and Uncle Jesse have been together forever, and you're still hot for each other. That's one of our interests. So in the next scene, Kimmy and Keanu are trying to get DJ to go to a party, or more, a makeup party. And... DJ's like, well, I don't want to go there and be alone. And, of course, they're like, well, you won't be with alone. You'll be with us. And DJ brings up a good point. It's like, yeah, but you'll be making out all night. It's like, so what is DJ supposed to... Uh, is this a... It's, because even before Kimmy leaves, she says, hey, let's go before all the good couches are gone. You're inviting DJ, whose boyfriend is out in L.A. You're inviting her to a makeout party. What in the world is she going to do there? She's not going to randomly make out with some guy because her boyfriend isn't there. Come on. No. But no, Steve's got a call from L.A., so she wants to be there. She DJ is wearing a Shippingsburg University sweatshirt, and I want to see if that's a real place and where it is. Okay, so I looked it up. Shippingsburg University is a member of Pennsylvania's state system of higher education has unique academic offerings that prepare our students for the competitive and ever-changing global job market. Who would she know that went there? That she, Because she's basically wearing a matching set of Shippensburg University sweatshirt and sweatpants. And also, when you, they do a close-up shot on the sweatshirt, it looks like it's got like a little hole just below the collar, and I'm like, clearly, where did that come from? Did somebody uh, who worked behind the scenes, like, hey, I want you to wear this DJ because I want to represent the college I went to, even though nobody in the Tanner family went to Shippensburg University. You know, Becky grew up in North, um, Nebraska. Danny, Joey, Jesse all grew, you know, grew up in California. So where's the Shippensburg University come in? I, mean, I, I I don't really see DJ as one that's going to go thrifting through Goodwill for a, a, a random, you know, college sweatshirt of a place that she never attended. And I mean, I don't even think Pam went to college. Well, I don't know if she went to college. Maybe she started, but she and Danny got married in 19 and then she had DJ. So I don't know unless, hey, maybe Pam I don't know how that would have worked, but okay. When DJ says, you'll be making out all night, Kimmy says, well, we need a spotter. This isn't wrestling, Kimmy. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm thinking spotter, like um, someone who like works out or something. Can you spot me or something? What is a spotter? Like someone that encourages you, like, hey, keep going. You're almost there. Just five more reps or something like that. This Shippensburg, New Jersey, Shippensburg U University shirt, not only does it have a, a hole, a small hole in it, it also looks like there could be a giant stain that's been, like, um, 
almost but not completely washed out of it. It just looks like something somebody would wear if they were raking the leaves or like they're washing their car or washing the dog. Uh, where did the I just like where did this shirt come from? It looks hum it looks like um it looks like a an XL on DJ or a 2XL sweatshirt that is too big for her. Why is she wearing it? Okay, I gotta get off the Shippensburg University because I don't... Uh, I can't get over this dick sweatshirt with a hole in it. It's just, it's gross. You would never see anybody wearing this. So, Kimmy's like, hey, at least come with us tomorrow. I mean, we're gonna, yeah, Keanu says we're gonna climb Eagle Mountain. And DJ's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm more of a mall dweller. So Keanu and Kimmy take off. Like, all right, let's go before all the good couches are taken. He looks like he could be in college, this Keanu guy. Because he, he literally looks like he's, like, 22 years old. Plus, the way that when he takes her hand, before when you know, Kimmy's introducing him to Danny, they have their fingers intertwined. Here, when she, Kimmy gets off the couch and he takes her hand, it's like, her hand is barely even in his. It's like, I, I just, being that I think this is the guy that really made Andrea Barber uncomfortable, I can imagine that, oh gosh, and I feel like, because she has to kiss him at least, like, three or four times in this episode and it is just I feel bad I just mm. gosh you know now that I think about it how often did she ever kiss Dwayne in season eight or she certainly was not kissing Bitterman in season three like how she's kissing this guy and we know Kimmy's boy count it's not very high I mean there there's Bitterman there's Dwayne, there's, oh, God, this dude, Keanu, I think there's three, unless I'm missing a couple people. Oh, that's right, um, 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 Gorilla Bernstein, or Bernstein, or whatever, from the prom episode, but she wasn't macking on him, like, she's mac been macking on this guy, like, all of Kimmy's kissing scenes, this is the most she's ever kissed anybody. In this one episode. Alright, I guess the family is going somewhere and DJ's volunteering because she's still depressed about Steve. She's volunteering to watch Nikki and Alex. And since she's staying home, well, the family has a job for DJ. They're going to get back at Joey for that waking us up at 5 a.m. and pretending it was 8 a.m. prank. Becky's like, we finally found the perfect way to play a trick on Joey, and Stephanie refers to it as it's Operation Payback. <laughs> Danny, again, it's like, did Bob say you just want to wear a t-shirt, white t-shirt the whole time? Because this time, instead of the vest, he's now wearing a, um, either dark blue or black cardigan button-up sweater that's just hanging, his, hanging open in his white shirt. I, uh, I like his white shirts on him, looks so good. But, so DJ's like, all right, well, how does it work? And Danny's like, well, you might want to take notes on this, sweetie. So they are going to trick Joey with a false lottery ticket. This, I don't understand how this works. 
Danny says, you know how Joey every week goes and buys those lottery tickets thinks he, and thinks he's going to make the big score? I have never heard to winning the lottery as the big score. I've heard winning it big or the big one. You're going to win the, the, the big lottery jack, the jackpot. People are like, oh, you're going to win the jackpot. Or, hey, did you get your ticket for the big jackpot? I've never, when I hear gonna make the big score, I think something just not even close to winning the big jackpot. And Danny says, well, this time we're gonna make him think that he did. How? So does Joey have a set of numbers that he plays? And DJ's like, well... That's kind of cruel. I'm like, oh, what, him waking you up at 5 a.m. and pretending it was 8 a.m. was not cruel? I think that's pretty cruel. There are other... I want to look... I, I definitely want to look and see what are some of the worst April Fool's pranks people have ever pr pulled on somebody to the point where they're downright, downright cruel. No, I mean... She's saying that's cruel, like, eh, and me saying, oh, that's cruel because they, he woke them all up at 5 a.m. pretending it was 8, like, nah, it's definition of cruel, that's not it. Inconvenience, yes. Cruel, no. And Jesse's like, oh, exactly. Now, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to tape the lottery drawing. Tape the lottery show tonight. And we're gonna go get the same numbers and switch that ticket with Joey's ticket? Okay, let me see if I can even remotely pull this out of my brain without getting a, my, a headache. Okay, okay, let me see. I'm envisioning. So, they're going to tape that because, you know, that's the lottery day that it's drawn okay so they're going to tape it they're going to take the numbers that were chosen as the big you know the win the jackpot they're going to take those numbers and they're going to do what how did the lottery work in 1994 did you go in and say hey i want these numbers print them off on a sheet for me i don't get this this is so confusing. I can't even wrap my brain around it. It's so confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Could you even pull something like that off nowadays? Probably not. I don't think you could trick some, be able to trick someone into thinking they won the lottery. Maybe you could. I don't know. We are living in the digital age, so who knows. The next time Joey sits down to watch the lotto drawing, we play the tape, and he thinks he's a gazillionaire, and we are... I guess we're going to say we're, we'll be even then. The numbers match... Stephanie says the numbers match exactly. He thinks he's a zillionaire, and it's Shaft City. Okay, he's not going to be a zillionaire, Pumpkin. He is probably going to be a millionaire, maybe. And then... Michelle, everyone's got their own line in this whole uh, scenario. She says, then we tell him he didn't win and laugh at him like he laughed at us. And Jesse's like, no, 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 no. We laugh much harder. This, I'm getting serious season one vibes from the episode Just One of the Guys when Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains guest stars as Cousin Steve. And he's a, you know, a jock. He's got a scholarship to Stanford for baseball scholarship and whatnot. 
And he's, you know, two, he's, like, at least, like, five years older than DJ. She's, like, 11. He's, like, 17. No, that's, like, a six-year age difference. And anyway, <laughs> the guys all go out and play, like, basketball. And we come back, they, like, go have lunch in the living room because they're going to, hey, the Lakers game is on. Let's go watch the Lakers game, Joey said. Joey's the one who brought it up. So he starts making bets with Jesse about things that'll happen, like, oh, I bet, like, so-and-so on the Lakers is gonna, like, shoot from the three-point line or whatever, I don't know my basketball other than One Tree Hill, um, or he's gonna slam dunk, or he's gonna follow this person, and this stuff starts happening, and Joey's just, like, I bet you a dollar this happens, and then it happens, and then, of course, Stephanie gives him, like, gee, Joey, you didn't know that much when we watched this tape this morning turns out it was <laughs> so it's kind of it's interesting kind of a weird callback to <laughs> that episode in season one with this videotape joke um lottery thing <laughs> it's gonna be a great party i can't steve's gonna call from la besides i would feel weird by myself well you won't be by yourself you'll be with us we'll be making out all night well We'll need a spotter. Yeah. I'll pass. Then at least come with us tomorrow. Yeah, we're gonna climb Eagle Mountain. Thanks, but I'm more of a mall dweller. Suit yourself. Come on, let's get to the party before all the good couches are taken. Hey, Deej. Hey, Deej. Since you're babysitting tonight, we have got a really important job for you. We have finally figured out a great trick to play on Joey. It's Operation Payback. Great. How does it work? Well, you might want to take notes on this, sweetie. You know how every week Joey goes and he buys those lottery tickets and thinks he's going to make the big score? Well, this time, we're going to make him think that he did. That's kind of cruel. Exactly. Now, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to tape the lottery show tonight. And then we're going to go out and get the same numbers, and I'm going to switch that ticket with Joey's ticket. And then the next time Joey sits down to watch the lotto drawing, we play the tape. The numbers match exactly. He thinks he's a zillionaire, and it's Shaft City. <laughs> then we tell him he didn't win, and laugh at him like he laughed at us. No, 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 no. We laugh much harder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm kind of curious. I was thinking about this on the drive home from my job yesterday, kind of thinking where the family was going without DJ. It looks like, honestly, maybe they were going to, like, a sit-down restaurant, because Becky was dressed pretty nicely, like she was going out in public somewhere. So, DJ's hanging with Nikki and Alex. She's like, all right, so I guess you two are my Saturday night dates. And Nikki and Alex are on the floor. They're playing with their little farm set with the barn and the animals. And she asks them, hey, well, what do you guys want to do? What do you guys want to do? And they're like, well, we're playing farm. Okay. <laughs> and Nikki or Alex is like, be a goat, DJ. <laughs> and I love DJ. Like, I'm a goat. I'm a goat. And, of course, the phone rings. And she's like, hello. I mean, hello. <laughs> it turns out it's Steve calling from a payphone in L.A. And he's talking about all the amazing films that he's seeing and how he met 
Tom Cruise's dental hygienist. So yeah, going back to Nikki and Alex and DJ, she's like, oh, what do you guys want to, what do you boys want to do? And the one in the purple plaid hooded shirt says, I want to be a farmer. And the one in the red plaid hooded shirt is like, come on, DJ, like waving her over. My grandparents had the Fisher Price little uh, farm place set. You know the one where if you open the barn door, you get that sound. You like hit this little uh, white flat thing on the inside of the barn door, and it goes. I mean, the thing had clearly been used when my dad and his siblings were kids. And I think half the animals that were included in the with that farm set did not exist anymore. There's even like a couple pieces of the little white fence that would go the little corral and stuff like that. So, but I mean, I may do as a kid. I had an amazing imagination. I could use any toys as a kid playing with toys. And just come up with stories, and I would just entertain myself for hours. So, yeah. At first, Steve's like, uh, DJ? And she's like, oh, Steve, hi, you're calling from L.A. How is it? And Steve's like, oh, it's incredible, Deej. You know, he, he goes on telling her, they took us to this beautiful restaurant in Beverly Hills, and he says, there are stars everywhere, you know, celebrities. Does that look like the back of Regis Philman's head? I can't tell. I think it's just some random couple. Steve is so jazzed because he says, I actually met Tom Cruise's dental hygienist. Steve is just on cloud nine, which is understandable. And this is something he's passionate in. I mean, we just learned this about Steve in this episode that he is taking a film class in college. And he's saying, I, I, I'm seeing these up. Uh, amazing film, these beautiful films by these awesome directors. I mean, definitely, I mean, for me, the directors that really kind of stand out for me are definitely Steven Spielberg. Ron Howard has done some stuff that, you know, I, I really like. And Steve says, you know, this is just so amazingly, you know, stimulating. It's like, that's good that he's found it. You know, something he's passionate in. For the moment. And I'm sure DJ is just on the other end. We can see her face just kind of cringing like this. It almost seems like as much admiration as Steve has for this film class and everything, the way he's talking so passionately about it, it's almost like it feels like that energy and passion that he and DJ once had. It just seems like, I mean, Steve's kind of priorities are kind of, you know, shifted just a smidge. Where it's just his focus, his main focus is just, it's not that he doesn't love DJ any less, it just means like, I mean, you're allowed to love more than one thing, but it just seems like that's where his, his drive is, is this, this film course that he's taking, and this opportunity that he's been given. He's like, so, what have you been up to? And DJ's like, well, as she looks down at the goat figurine. I've been making nice goat sounds. <laughs> and he kind of, like, she can't see his expression on the other line, of course. Because she's not FaceTiming him. But he kind of, like, uh, is like, mm, 
Okay. <laughs> even after DJ says, wow, I've been making really neat goat sounds, she even cringes after she says it, like, ooh. Excuse me. We, we don't see the woman. She's out of the frame as she taps Steve on the shoulder as she says, excuse me. And Steve turns to look and his jaw, like, drops on the floor in surprise. And we were all surprised, like, Suzanne Summers, because at this point she was still on Step by Step. And this is 1994, and she's, you know, got a flip phone. Which it seems like, I mean, I didn't know anyone in the mid to late 90s that had a flip phone. And it seemed like the celebrities were the ones that had the flip phones. I love Steve's jaw is literally... Like, and I like how Suzanne Summers like takes her hand and like shuts his mouth, like puts her hand under his chin and like closes his mouth. <laughs> he is like frozen in surprise. Like, Ugh. and he's still on the phone with DJ while this is happening. So she asks Steve if she can borrow the payphone because her flip phone died. There would be. I swear there was more than one payphone there. Just jump on another one. And her flip phone, that, my guess is those things back in the 90s did not have a lot of battery power. It's like you charge it for the day, you get like maybe an hour worth of phone calls or something. I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> the way Steve turns back and he's back on the phone. He's like, DJ, Susan's. Suzanne Summers just touched me. And the look that DJ gives on the other end is like, she like pulls the phone back like, what? What are you talking about? He said he was, he said he was seeing celebrities <laughs> at this restaurant. And it is in Beverly Hills. I mean, I'm sure you're going to see at least one celebrity somewhere. Yeah, she is like, pulls the phone away from her ear and looks at like, what? <laughs> He's like, I, I gotta go, okay? Oh, I love this town. And he hangs up the... Okay, so there is only one payphone there. <laughs> and he hangs up the phone. He's like, all right, it's all yours, Miss Summers. And he also brings it because also Suzanne Summers did infomercials for the Thighmaster. I... I don't think... I'm trying to think if maybe my sister, when she was a teenager, she might have gotten it. Or maybe my grandma got the Thighmaster. So I swear I tried it once. Someone had one. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me see. What does this do exactly? Oh, eh. I want to see if they even have the Thighmaster anymore. They have different versions from different companies of the Thighmaster. They have one for eight fifty, one for sixteen, one for ten, one for twelve. Let's see. I want to see if they got Thighmaster Suzanne Summers exerciser, a yoga ring, and a magic arm circle waist and th what in the what in the what? What is that thing? Pilates ring. Unbreakable fitness magic circle. What what do you do with that? What do you do with a circle thing? You put it around your body? Uh, 
common for stubborn areas. Oh, you can get different a different color. Let's see. They have red. They don't have red. But they have like a teal color. Mm, nah, I'm not spending $25 on that. No. I want to I want to I want to look at one of these reviews and see like this thigh master thing. Um, <laughs> um I want to see a bad review. Is there a bad review in here? Uh, I don't Nah, I don't see a bad review. They're all good reviews. So if I really want it, but then I don't know. I can't even get my butt down to the first floor where the exercise the, they have a gym here at this hotel, and I have not been able to get my butt down there, and we've been here almost two weeks. What's wrong with me, guys? What's wrong with me? I'm lazy. I'll admit it. I will be the first to admit it. Help me, Suzanne. Help me, Suzanne Summers. I need your fitness advice. He hangs up on... Well, he did say, I gotta go. And... Femi CTT, like, putting the phone, taking, putting it away from my ear and, like, listening for, like, the dial tone. Like, Steve? Steve? And, of course, we cut back to Steve. She's like, it's all yours. And she's like, thanks. Of course, we got to give her praise for that wonderful thigh master that she uh, helped promote, that exercise equipment. Steve's like, oh, and by the way, Miss Summers, I have to say, thanks to your thigh master, my mom's got the cutest buns on the whole block. And <laughs> she says, oh, yeah, how nice for your dad. <laughs> it's just like, I stayed home for that, really? And she says, she asks herself, what am I doing with my life? And of course, one of the twins is like, I don't know. I, mean, I think she means, what am I doing with Steve? Because this is all going to come to a head later on. Because I think this is just kind of slowly cementing the fact that... Well, remember in the episode, um, Lovers and Other Tanners, where Danny's explaining to her that Steve is a part of your life, but he doesn't need to be like your whole life you, your whole life doesn't need to be fixated around Steve whereas in a way maybe because Steve's in college maybe she's trying to figure out where she fits in his life you know with his priorities and everything and our maybe she feels like oh our relationship feels like it's kind of getting uh you know a little lost in the shuffle here Maybe she does feel maybe they are drifting a little bit because they are in their two years. She's two years younger. He's in college. She's in high school. They've made it work up to this point, but I think she's feeling like what is keeping this relationship afloat? What exactly? What's keeping us together still? Because when you're not seeing each other all the time, that's when the you really have to work at the relationship if you want it to work. And DJ's like, I'm not waiting around for anybody. I'm going to that party. And she grabs her keys. Sweetie, you are dressed. <laughs> She's going to show up at the party, at the party with that Shippensburg University sweatshirt with the stain and the hole on the shirt and the sweatpants. 
Mind you, everyone's going to be making out when she gets there, so no one's even going to know that she's there. Until someone, like, breaks away and is like, Oh, DJ, I thought you <laughs> were not going to be here. Not to mention, thank goodness she realizes it, because uh, one of the boys like, Bye-bye! Have fun, DJ. And she's like, I intend to. She walks out the door. I'm like, you were almost going to leave two toddlers home by themselves. I don't know what a comment is, so I don't know if he's certified to babysit. Probably not. But, <laughs> no, you were almost going to leave those two little kids by themselves. But finally she's like, oh, no, tonight I'm babysitting, but tomorrow is a brand new day. She says, tomorrow is a brand new day. I still can't believe she was going to go out in her loungewear. Oh, my gosh. And I don't even know what, what, is this a high school party or is this a college party, makeout party they're going to? Is this somebody that Kimmy knows or, or John slash Keanu knows? Well, it looks like you're my Saturday night date. What do you want to do? I want to be a farmer. <laughs> Come on, DJ. You be a goat. You be a goat. I'm a goat. I'm a goat. Hello. <clears throat> Hello? DJ? Steve, how's LA? It's incredible, DJ. They took us to this beautiful restaurant here in Beverly Hills. There are stars everywhere. Listen to this. I actually met Tom Cruise's dental hygienist. And I've been seeing the greatest films by these awesome directors. Deej, I can't tell you. It's been so amazingly stimulating. So, uh, what have you been up to? Well, I've been making really neat goat sounds. Excuse me. <laughs> what are the odds? He actually shuts his mouth for Summers just touched me. I gotta go, okay? Like, what? I love this town. Steve? It's all yours, Miss Summers. Oh, and if I may say so, thanks to that dye master of yours, my mom's got the cutest buns on the whole block. <laughs> How nice to be your dad. <laughs> I stayed home for that? Yes, you did. And the baby's it. with my life? I don't know. I'm not waiting around for anybody. I'm going to that party. <laughs> Dressed like you're going to spend a weekend on the couch? I intend to. I can't believe Whose car was she going to take? Okay, tonight I'm going to have her own. But tomorrow is a brand new day. You know, I was actually kind of thinking about... Um, just looking at DJ's hair, how it's gotten, in season seven, it was just, it was so long, right? And then, it seems like, at this point, because we're almost done with season seven at this point, her hair has gotten shorter. Not season eight shorter, but it's, it definitely looks like it's transitioning to where it's going to be, like, shoulder length. Or even a little bit shorter than that. Where it's like just a little below the ears. Alright, looks like we're heading to Eagle Mountain. I think that's where it is. 
DJ decided to go with Kimmy and Keanu. This, oh my goodness, this makes me nuts. They are not, they're climbing the side of this mountain. They have no protective equipment whatsoever. Now, I don't do the mountain rock climbing, whatever. I don't do it. I wouldn't do it even if I had protective equipment because they have a fear of heights. I don't know, maybe one day I'll try rock in in a enclosed area. But, and even, I mean, John, I'm, I'm Keanu, whatever, he's wearing shorts. Would you be wearing shorts while you're climbing a mountain? You're going to scrape up your knees. Is it, it's just, why would you want to leave yourself exposed like that? But, I mean, Kimmy's got, Kim, wow, let's take a look at what Kimmy's got going on as far as, she's wearing black leggings, okay, she's got shorts over those, and then she's got, like, denim, like, cutoffs over those. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the outfit. I mean, this is Kimmy. I mean, season... Kimmy with her clothing has always been, uh... Expressive. Let's go that route. But, I mean, she's got more coverage than he does. I just... I would not think that if you're going rock climbing, you're gonna want your knees and legs exposed. You can still bang up your your knee wearing jeans, which I don't even think you'd want to wear jeans, would you? Wouldn't that restrict your leg movements? That's why I'd be like, why are you playing basketball in jeans? That's going to restrict your movements. I mean, if they get baggy enough, but I just, mm, I don't know. But I still think, I mean, unless is, so John has got to be the one here that has the experience. Like, he's done this several times with the guide. I, I I think that, honestly, you would not be, if, unless you've trained with someone to do it without proper, sa proper safety equipment and everything, that's one thing. But, Kimmy, I don't think it's ever done it before. DJ definitely has not climbed the side of this mountain before or anything to this and I just like that is so risky. It is so so risky and dangerous. And I'm guessing so he's got to be a certified rock climber instructor or something somewhere because ugh. you don't just go to a mountain and say, "Hey, I just looked up this. This looks like a great rock climbing mountain. Let's go there." And uh, you've never done it before, or you've done it once. In the safety of um, an enclosed building, like rock climbing, you know, grabbing, reaching for hand and footholds, that kind of, that kind of what I would like to kind of sort of do. But it's just, I don't know. It just always bugged me. Whenever Jeremy and I would watch this episode on like Hulu or the DVDs, I'd always be like, isn't it not safe? Because they're not using equipment. There is no one that's going to be able to catch you if you fall. And John is just like, wow, Kimmy, you're a natural. Are you part mountain goat? And Kimmy's like, 
You know, maybe. I mean, you know, when my grandfather got mad, he used to lower his head and ram people. Okay. DJ is also wearing shorts. Kimmy is the only one that has leg protection. Granted, yes, they're probably just leggings, but even still, some protection over your knees and legs is probably better than none. Okay, here's another thing, guys. I thought maybe John had a backpack on, so that way they had keep hydrated while they're climbing. Maybe some bandages in case something happens. Maybe a, I'm not going to say portable phone, I don't know, something, flares, a flare gun. What if you, you're stuck on the mountain and you can't get down for some reason? How are you going to call for help? How are you, flare gun, right? Exactly. They are barest bones climbing this mountain with no protection, no emergency equipment, no flare gun, nothing. If, I mean, I'm sure they told people where they're going to be, right? I'm sure they did. Because who's coming to get you? How are you going to contact them? You're not. Unless they can somehow magically build a fire on the, on the mountaintop. I don't know. This is just, this is, this is nuts. This is just, and the fact, DJ does this one time and she's able to take Steve up there. I'll get to that when that happens, but good golly grief. And John's like, oh, doesn't Kimmy just crack you up? And DJ is freaked. She's like clinging to the rock. Like, yeah, remind me to laugh if we ever make it down. And of course, don't, don't ever look down. That's exactly what DJ does. She's like, whoa, we are really high up. Look at that. Oh my gosh. How did they, oh, that would be, I'm, I'm going to live on this mountain. I am not. But then again. Maybe going down is probably easier than going up. I don't know. That looks like there aren't a lot of hand and footholds. I mean, there's a lot of cracks and crevices, like wherever the stock footage was taken. And DJ, DJ's kind of freaking out. She's having a midpoint freakout moment here. Um, she's like, aren't you guys scared at all? And Kimmy, of course, because we need that laugh track. I'm too dumb to be scared. You are not dumb, Kimmy. Don't put yourself down like that. Of course, John laughs at this when Kimmy says this. <laughs> they both laugh. <laughs> and John's like, all right, just a little more climbing and we'll be at the top. And Kim, DJ's like, what, we're going up that? I'm like, well, DJ, I don't know. <laughs> How else are you going to get down? I mean, you already look down, and you're like, I don't know. I mean, are you going to stay on that itty-bitty, barely-there ledge? Your only choice is to keep going, I guess. I mean, I guess you could try climbing down. Oh, my goodness. And John is like, hey, look, it's a lot easier than it looks. And there's hand and footholds all the way up. Well, yeah, there is. He's like, hey, just follow me, all right? Because he is the only one there with mountain climbing, climbing experience. Because he's did it like once before. And of course, Kimmy's checking out John slash Keanu's butt. And while she's doing that, she's got her back facing... She's basically staring at John. And she takes a step back. And a couple rocks like fall off the side of the uh, little uh, mountain, the little cliff area, the, the little ledge that they're on. And DJ's like, Kimmy, forget the view. You almost fell off the side, the side of a mountain. 
And Kimmy, who's like, yeah, but what a way to go. Like, oh my goodness, Kimmy, Kimmy, Kimmy. No view is worth falling off that mountain for. I don't care whose butt you're looking at. No one's butt is worth falling off the side of a mountain. Yeah, just no. So John, of course, sounds like he's almost on the mountaintop, and he's asking if they're coming up. And Kimmy's like, oh, I'll be right there, lover boy. And she starts to climb. And DJ is, she is, like, scared to the point where she is, like, paralyzed with fear. She's like, I can't move. I'm too scared. And this is where Kimmy gives her a little pep talk. And DJ's like, what? why did I ever do this? And Kimmy's like, well, you said you didn't want to be stuck at home while Steve is out sharing phones with the rich and the sexy. And DJ's like, yeah, but I don't want to be stuck on this ledge either. Well, it's like, well, then hop to it, sweetie. Just take it slow. It's all right. I'd be like, hey, just focus on the task at hand, which is where your hands and feet are going to go. And just, you're focusing on that task. You're not thinking about what's below you. And even Kimmy says, you know, DJ, you got to face this fear. I mean, what's the worst that could happen to you? And DJ is like, well, I mean, I could fall and be splattered into thousands of little pieces. <laughs> These very hard and pointy rocks. And he's like, well, there you go. DJ was, oh my gosh, I could go on about this for days, guys. DJ was not emotionally or even physically ready to be able to climb that mountain. You know, just say, hey, I'm going on an outing to climb a mountain. I've never done it before. Never had any experience. I think that's honestly something you got to work up to that. You start first with a rock climbing wall so you can get used to that. You're in a harness so that way if you lose your grip, somebody's got you. Someone's got you, like, on the ground, like, ready with the, the line and the rope and all that stuff. This, you don't got anybody but somebody telling you, come on, keep moving, keep moving. Hand, feet, hand, feet. Find the footholds. Find the hand grabs. So yeah, this stock footage here is just, it's absolutely gorgeous. It looks like it's like late afternoon, maybe 4 o'clock. The sun is starting to set. And you, just, you see the trees below this brown mountain. And it just, it's gorgeous. I just, I love sunsets. Almost as much as, I mean, sunrises are good too, but sunsets are really, really pretty. So, of course, DJ gets to the top of the mountain. Keanu, John, slash John, and Kimmy, they're there making out. And DJ, of course, she's, like, asking for a hand because Kimmy and John are making out. And DJ is grabbing Kimmy's ankle and Kimmy keeps like lifting her foot and like trying to like get her off like um she's hanging on the side of the mountain you might want to like give her a hand John breaks away and is like oh here DJ I've got you give me your hand and Kimmy's like wow DJ you did it and DJ's just so exhilarated just that that rush of just I conquered this mountain and she's so excited she's like I, I conquered my fear well, she must have because she ends up going back up there with Steve later on. Of course, Kimmy and Keanu keep making out again. And 
DJ's taking in how beautiful the view is. Like, see, so, so, like, we see this beautiful shot of just the nature out there, and it's just, DJ's like, wow, I mean, look at it, you can see forever, and of course, Kimmy's like, DJ, would you quiet down, or would you shut up, you're killing the mood. See, that's why it's like, I wouldn't want to go with someone in their significant other, because you're going to feel like a third wheel. Luckily, DJ doesn't seem to feel that here. Or she was going to feel like that when if she went to that makeup party with it. That would have just been weird. You see other mountains in the distance and some trees. And DJ is just, she's like, I'm, I'm she's like feeling what Steve was feeling when he was talking about the amazing films, the directors, Tom Cruise's Daniel Hygienist, meeting Suzanne Summers. She is feeling all of that excitement and, and thrill and just those high emotions. She's like, this is spectacular. I feel like I'm on top of the world. Yeah, Kimmy breaks away. He's like, Deej, will you stop yakking? You're killing the mood. And Deej's like, wow, I can't believe I almost missed this. Maybe because she's thinking of being on that ledge and, you know, that fear of continuing on up the mountain. And she says, in some weird way, Kimmy, I couldn't have done this without you. This is a weird comment, but then again, it is Kimmy. She's like, hey, you taught me how to shave my pits. Oh, I mean, I know it's something that, you know, girls, you know, me as a girl, you know, we all, we do this. Because you do it. That's just what you do. It's part of your, you know, you're taking care of your body and making sure you don't have BO and, you know, making sure your pits aren't hairy and stuff like that. But just, it's like, yeah, we know we do that, but we don't talk about it. I mean, you see it in commercials with the, uh, you know, the shave gel and the razors and all that hoopla hoopla. But it's just, it's weird coming from Kimmy's, yeah. But it's just like, eh, I just, she says it, and I get a picture, I visioning them as teenagers, as DJs instructing her not how to uh, shave up and not down, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I mean, no one taught me. I don't think. I don't think my sister taught me. I think I just started doing it. Because at some point, you do eventually have to start doing that. Or your BO problem is going to be a thousand times worse. And Kimmy's like, hey, you taught me how to shave my pits. What goes around comes around. <laughs> Kimmy, you're doing great. You must be part mountain goat. Could be. You know, when my grandfather got mad, he used to lower his head and ram people. DJ. <laughs> Doesn't she just crack you up? Yeah, remind me to laugh if we ever make it back down. Whoa. We're really high. <coughs> Aren't you guys scared at all? I'm too dumb to be scared. Okay, just a little more and we'll be at the top. We're going up that? That's a lot easier than it looks. There's hand and footholds all the way up. Just follow me.
can't move. I'm too scared. Why did I ever do this? Well, you said you didn't want to be stuck at home while Steve's out sharing phones with the rich and the sexy. Yeah, but I don't want to be stuck on this ledge either. Steve, you gotta face this fear. I mean, what's the worst that could happen to you? Well, I could fall and be splattered into thousands of little pieces on these very hard, pointy rocks. There you go. like Michelle, Stephanie, and DJ all spent the day hanging out together. And who, to their surprise, is sitting at the kitchen table when they walk in? It's Steve. And Steve is so bored. But, I mean, he does have a drink. He's got a sandwich and some chips. So they probably told him, you know, help yourself, Steve. You're welcome to wait here while DJ and her sisters, you know, until they get back. And he's so bored. He's making a apple and orange and pear tower. Like he's stacking them in the fruit bowl <laughs> that's sitting on the table there. And he's like, hey, Deej. And DJ is surprised to see him. Like, Steve, what are you doing here? She, when she says, Steve, what are you doing here? She just, she's. She looks confused, almost like she forgot that he was coming back from L.A., which he even brings it up. It's like, he's like, oh, nothing. Just waiting around for th about three hours. We had a date today, remember? I came back from L.A. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're back from L.A. I'm so, I, I completely forgot. I was like, DJ has to remind herself what day of the week it is. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Saturday. You're home from L.A. DJ's like, well, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened this week. It just flew by. Just, I've been so busy. And she's like, well, thanks. It's nice to know that you missed me. And DJ's like, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I've been doing so much stuff. And DJ says, you know, I even got to hang out with Steph and Michelle. The way that she says that, like, I got to, I even got to hang out with Steph and Michelle. It's almost like. She had to make appointments with them, like, hey, what's your availability this week? Hey, we're both not doing anything this Saturday. Won't we all, like, go to the movies or go to the mall or something? Because, you know, Stephanie and Michelle, their social calendars are just booked. <laughs> or maybe it's DJ that's always so busy that she actually has uh, her calendar open to be able to hang out with Stephanie and Michelle. And D this is sad. DJ's like, I forgot how much I liked them. 
Okay, I am. Not, I think that Steph here is gonna get the worst outfit award, which I rarely do. But this, I am not digging this orange and green plaid shirt that she's wearing. It is great if it's October near Halloween, but any other time of the year, bruh, no, thank you, thank you, no, no, no. Michelle, of course, another giant scrunchie in the back of her hair. Now Steve looks like he's irritated. He's like, what, you forgot you had a boyfriend? And DJ looks at him and she's like, no, but my whole life doesn't revolve around you. And of course, Michelle's like, yeah, it revolves around us. And we cut back to Steve's expression after Michelle says that. He looks the picture of a broken boy. He is just like, ooh, where'd that dig come from, Michelle? It's almost like he feels like he's an outsider there. Almost like, well, I feel really unwelcome right now. <laughs> I gotta say, mm, gosh, I don't know. It's gonna be a tough one. I think, honestly, DJ is gonna get the worst outfit because I do not like this buttoned-up denim shirt. That I mean, the buttons literally go all the way up to the bottom of her throat and it's just and that, that top button is buttoned and I I don't like it denim on some people look good but I just don't like this denim even when Michelle's like yeah it revolves around us and oh Steve oh my gosh the, ooh, this just breaks my heart for poor Steve and even what DJ's got a look of Michelle what's wrong no my life does not revolve around you either Luckily, Stephanie takes Michelle and they leave. They go upstairs. It's like, come on, Michelle, you did not need to say that, you spoiled little girl. And right after Stephanie says, we'll be upstairs if you need us, it's almost like Michelle knows, like, the thing that she said was, like, that came out wrong. Like, ooh, sorry. So Steve is irritated. He gets up and he's like, yeah, I know what this is about. You're trying to get back at me for going to L.A. And TJ's like, what? That is ridiculous. And, and DJ jumps up and she's like, Steve, I'm not trying to get back with you. Jeez, you share one phone with Suzanne Summers and you think you're Mr. Hollywood. And then Steve has to say something dumb like, I can't believe you're so jealous of me and Suzanne. What? Even DJ's like, you know what, Steve, just go home. And he's like, fine, I'm going to go home. But not because you told me to. Because my mom said not to be late for dinner. Oh my goodness. I thought that he was living at his apartment in season 7. Is he not living in an apartment anymore? What's going on with that? Oh, maybe because they invite, because he's back from L.A., they invite him like, hey, you're coming home, you know, welcome home dinner, even though he just went to another city in the same state, but whatever. After Steve's like, I can't believe you're so jealous of me and Suzanne. And DJ's like, jealous? Steve, ugh, go home. Because she just kind of throws her hand up in a dismissive way. Like, go home. Like, just go. Go, go, go. I don't want to see you. So Steve is wearing a button-up mustard yellow. Almost looks like ground mustard yellow with two different shades of gray, like one's a darker gray, almost 
black stripe next to a slate gray stripe, and it just, normally I don't, I'm not a big fan of that color on people, but I like it on Steve. Again, he's wearing the white shirt underneath, which just goes good. White, shirt, white, white shirts go good with anything. That and black shirts go good with anything. Hi, DJ. Steve, what are you doing here? Oh, nothing. Just waiting around for about three hours. I came home today. We had a date, remember? Oh, it's Saturday. You're home from L.A. I don't know what happened this week. I've been so busy. Well, thanks. It's nice to know you missed me. Oh, I'm sorry. I've just been doing so much stuff. You know, I even got to hang out with Steph and Michelle. I forgot how much I liked them. Did you forget you had a boyfriend? No. But my whole life doesn't revolve around you. Yeah, it revolves around us. Michelle, you did not need to say that. Uh, we'll be upstairs if you need us. You know, I know what this is about. You're just trying to get back at me for going to L.A. Steve, I'm not trying to get back at you. Man, you share one phone with Suzanne Summers, and you think you're Mr. Hollywood. I cannot believe that you were jealous of me and Suzanne. Jealous? Steve, go home. Okay, all right, I'm going home. It's not because you told me to. It's because my mom said not to be late for dinner. voice crack on that last line okay we got to get the uh end result of this lottery drawing plank prank as we cut to the top of the stairs there we got jesse leading joey down the stairs like hey come on buddy let's go see if you're gonna win the big jackpot and we see danny standing over michelle's like okay michelle turn up the tv and then turn on the tape uh Interesting dead giveaway right here. Michelle is still holding on to do the VCR remote. You want to make it look conspicuous. Well, and that dimension, it's like, hey, Danny's like, hey, Joey, come on, be with your family, the people who love you. We want to see you win this big jackpot. And Joey's already skeptical. He's like, well, what are you guys all doing here? You normally like laugh in my face when I get a lottery ticket and think I'm gonna, I, you know, I think I'm gonna get the jackpot and you're like joey you're never gonna win they tell him he's dumb for buying lottery tickets are you serious is he buying them on a weekly basis how much money is he spending per week i don't know but come on i mean you're not dumb if you're you're buying a lottery ticket who cares it's not like you're doing it like spending like 50 dollars a week buying lottery tickets that would be uh it, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be spending 50 bucks a week on lottery tickets, but still. He already seems a bit on the skeptical side as to what everyone's doing. I mean, seriously. If your whole family's saying, oh, you're dumb for buying a lottery ticket, and then all of a sudden they're all there in the living room, and they're like, hey, let's go see if you win the big jackpot, I would have been like, okay, something is going on here. What are you trying to pull? And Becky frankly pulls Joey onto the couch next to her. It's like, not today, Joey. We're here to cheer you on. And Jesse, of course, is like, yeah, it's your lucky day, buddy. Michelle, turn on the sound. Turn on the turn up the volume. So when the announcer calls the first number, Joey's like, oh hey, look, I actually got a number. And then they keep calling the next number and the next number. And Joey's like, gosh, 
Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so Joey just keeps looking at his tickets. He's hearing the announcer, you know, draw the numbers and everything. He's oblivious to everyone with the big grins on their faces and Michelle who's holding the VCR remote. Joey jumps up from the couch. He's like, I won. Oh my gosh, yes, 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 I won, I won. And you just see, I don't know what uh, Danny and Jesse were with their index finger and middle finger. They're kind of almost doing the little uh, hand slap with their fingers. It's weird. And it's just like, oh my gosh. But of course, you think the joke stops there. It doesn't, it keeps going. So Joey, of course, thinking he's won $50 million, picks up Michelle and says, Michelle, you know, I think I'll buy a ranch. And I'll get you that pony you always wanted. When has Michelle ever, when have we ever known her to like horses? That's DJ. Or at least that was DJ back in like season two and three. Joey just keeps going on. It's like, oh, forget the pony. I'll get you a horse, a big Ten foot tall horse. And <laughs> I just love Becky and Jesse and Danny are just kind of huddled, just looking at Joey, just going all crazy on what he's going to spend his money on. Remember the time um, it's season one, Mad Money, where Joey's mom, I guess, found one of Joey's old saving bonds that was like worth $5,000 and he goes on a spree spending got a bike for Stephanie. Uh, Michelle was like a toddler at the point, so he got her like a little Fisher Price play push lawnmower. He got DJ Springsteen tickets. He got Jesse and Danny lifetime tickets to the Great American Amusement Park. He even got himself a uh, Gumby pinball machine or something like that. It's like, good grief. And I am the I am one, definitely. I mean, when I have money in my pocket, it's like I have to spend it on stuff. And that's not always a good thing. Like when I get like birthday money or Christmas money from relatives, I try to stretch it out as much as possible. Joey's like, I'll get you a ten foot tall horse with a golden saddle. Oh my gosh. Stephanie's got just like Michelle with the the scrunchies. Nineties was big on scrunchies. Well, eighties were too, I think. But Stephanie's scrunchie is orange, so it matches her uh, pumpkin orange and green flannel sh plaid shirt that she's wearing. One of the toys that the twins play with and, um, that we see in that episode where Jesse has to, you know, finally uh, punish the twins with that gonzo thing. I see that right in that corner, right to the right of the stairs. So this is actually... It does kind of border on cruel, because Joe, um, Joey just, yes, yes, I won the lottery. So Danny takes the ticket, like, oh, Joey, I want to touch this winning lottery ticket. I want to feel it. I want to smell it. I want to, and then, of course, Jesse gets in on it, rips the ticket out of jo Danny's hand, and they get into a tug of war, and Joey's like, guys, 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 what are you doing? Danny's hand, whoop, oh. Because he backs up. Like, they planned this the whole time. And 
Danny's like holding the ticket and he backs up and then he and Jesse get into kind of a, a um grabby hands with the ticket, you know, tug of war match, and then all of a sudden, boop, oh, where'd it go? In the fireplace that just happens to be conveniently got a fire roaring. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> On, and Joey doesn't even think twice. And this is just Joey, I'm I'm happy that Joey was not part of that gold rush scenario back in uh, the days of the California gold rush because he he would have lost it. I mean, his mind is just... But then again, I can't speak for everyone that f the moment they find out they won the lottery because everyone, I'm sure, their reaction is going to be different. As in some maybe disbelief, like, no, no, there's no way. I couldn't have. This can't be right. And then there's some like, oh my gosh, I won, I get it. And, and your mind just starts going on all the things you're going to do. Like probably, I'm going to pay off my car. I'm going to pay off my house. I'm going to get a bigger house. I'm going to get a newer car. I'm going to pay off all my debt. And I'm going to be just, and just, I mean, because there are documentaries about people that like want it big. And then you find out years later that they lost everything. And getting extravagant houses, cars, blowing it at casinos, getting boats, getting all this stuff. Even the sadder fact that some of those people end up dead. Which is just sad. It's like, oh my gosh. There is a dark side to winning the lottery. And not to mention that, if you really win it big... And you're in a state where you can't you can't stay anonymous. Anybody who's anybody is going to find you. They know what you look like. They know what town you live in. They're going to search for you. Relatives you've probably even never heard of who may even not be related to you are going to call you up. Or they're going to go to your house. And you, it's like you can't win. It's almost like in a way it feels like winning the lottery is more of a curse than a good thing. It just depends on how you look at it. I mean, you got, I mean, there, I'm sure there are people out, smart people out there that as soon as they win the lottery, they don't say anything to anybody. They just quietly go get the situation. What do they say? Get an accountant, get somebody to manage your money and all of that stuff. Because it's so easy, it is so easy to lose control if you're not keeping track of what you're spending, what's going out, like constantly going out. For some, <laughs> me and my coworker, um, when I worked at uh, the manufacturing place, um, we were talking about the lottery. He's always like, <laughs> saying how uh, he wants to win the lottery. And I always said, well, you had to play the lottery to win the lottery. But anyway, he basically said, it's like, you would have to, like, take your money and just go to some uncharted island somewhere and just live because you would not be able to get away from people. As soon as people knew where you live, you they would be pounding down your door. They'd be asking for money. It, it, it like I said, it's a the lot is it's a, there's a very dark side to winning the lottery. It's not all champagne wishes and caviar dreams like Robin Leach from the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous said. 
I promise you that. I don't know from experience. I don't know if I really would want to win, win the lottery. That just seems like more of a headache and a pain than any joy that any money could bring. <laughs> I'm already considered a book hoarder. Can you imagine if I won the lottery, what that would be? Yeah, I'd want my library to be like that from the Disney animated movie Beauty and the Beast. That is one thing I would definitely, but then again, can you imagine the house that I would need for that to, yeah, exactly. I still laugh at all the things my coworker and I would talk about what we would do if we quote unquote won the lottery, but anyway. But anyway, as soon as that lottery ticket falls into the fire due to Danny's like, whoop, whoop, there it goes. Joey practically launches himself into that fireplace. They're like, Joey, you're going to burn your hand. And he's like, I'll buy a new one. Okay, no, $50 million is not worth the pain that that would, uh, no. He's got, he's got gold, he's got lottery fever. He's got lottery winning fever. I don't know if that's a real thing. How are they not, and, and when they start, Danny and Jesse start grabbing at it, and Joey's all like, guys, guys, careful, you're, you're gonna rip it, because it's a piece of paper. You really think they're gonna, the, the lottery people are going to accept that if you like have to tape the thing back together because it's all crumpled and ripped? Joey's all like, don't rip it, don't rip it. It's like, okay. <laughs> that thing just falls, right? It's, just, it's a slip of paper. Oh my gosh, hold on a second. Okay, I, actually, we do see it's clearly just a printed piece. It says Super Lotto on it. It doesn't say San Francisco Lotto or California Lotto. It says Super Lotto. That is so fake. <laughs> and Joey's like, my, my money, my $50 million. And he gets ready to literally launch himself. And I couldn't understand now why they placed, you know, Jesse and jo uh, bleh, Jesse and Danny there because they caught him before he could even get like within like a foot of that fireplace because of course being Joey you don't gotta think really too hard about what his next action is gonna be what they probably like, oh well odds are if this goes in the but then again now I'm thinking about it did they really intend for that to happen? Like, maybe that, I like I said, that seems like a little dark. Like, oh, let's trick him to think he's won the lottery. And then we're going to accidentally have the lottery ticket, the $50 million, the paper fall into the fire and just, yeah. I, I th Actually, now that I think about it, because of what they say after, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was planned. That is kind of the cruel part. Granted, they I don't think they shared that part with DJ. Becky's like, Joey, Joey, face it. It's gone. And Joey just, he's like, gone? But Jesse's like, ah, oh, well, Joey, because he puts a hand on Joey's shoulder. And then with his hand, D Jesse does a little beckoning, as in beckoning Becky, Steph, and Michelle closer. Like, oh, you know what they say. And they all say... To Joey. April Fools! But joke's on them. Uh, <laughs> Joey's gonna come back with a vengeance. And Joey's like, wait, what? 
You mean this was a joke? I mean, I just saw it on TV. Tape the drawing from last week. Okay. Oh, they bought those. Oh, I get it. Oh, my gosh. The light bulb finally went on. I get it. Because, yeah, you can do whatever numbers you want to have. And then they will print up the slip for... Oh, my God. I have been baffled about this theory for years. That was some smart thinking. They taped it. They got the numbers. They went to say, okay, I want those numbers. And, yeah. And then, okay. I, I, I get it now, the light bulb. But Quinn's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Isn't that funny, Quinny? <laughs> Can you imagine if I made you think you won the lottery? <laughs> She's like, I'm not that dumb. <laughs> How dare you insult my intelligence? And she just yawned. <laughs> I'm looking at her in the mirror because she's on the floor in front of the, uh, the footstool here. <gasps> and Joey's like, yeah, but there's no tape in there. And then Becky's like, yeah, sure it is. I put it in there this morning. And Joey's like... No, I'm telling you, there's no tape in there. I took it out, the, you know, I I cleaned the head. I took it out, I, I cleaned the heads. I guess that, yeah, that's something that you do. You put in, like, I guess there was a tape or something you could put in that actually cleaned your VCR. And I guess, you know, with the heads, he's talking about those round, like, metal pieces that have the tape spool kind of running through it. And Joey's like, I'm telling you, there's no tape in there. I took it out this morning to clean the heads. I Look, guys, we were watching the real show. And everyone's just like, what, what, what? Are you serious? And they immediately, Danny, since he's right near the fireplace, grabs the little poker thing and he's so, moving it around. It's basically ash. There's nothing there. It's too late. Yeah, and Jesse's like, have mercy, Joey's ticket actually won. And they all scream, the fireplace! D well, yeah, it's all ash. And, and Danny grabs the poker and he's looking around. He's like, there's nothing but ashes here. Well, it's a piece of paper. It's not going to take long to burn. Oh my gosh. Jesse put his hand right in the fireplace right above the flames. Like, were you seriously going to damage your own hand? To get something which is basically nothing but ash? Come on. <laughs> that wouldn't work. You guys have been talking about it for the last five minutes while that thing's been burning in the fireplace. It's gone. As soon as Joe... Danny says, nothing but ashes in there. And Joey says, well, you know what they say, gang. April Fools! And then Jesse's like, ah, oh, he got us again. You guys are so gullible. Seriously. You keep falling for it. The fact that he was able to get you back right after you pranked him. Oh my goodness. Can you believe that, Quinny? Yes. And they're like, wait, what? And he says, yeah, the tape was in there the whole time. Okay, nobody can pull a tape out that fast out of a VCR without the tape, like, getting stuck. I mean, so he didn't even press a button. He just yanked it out. He says, hey, next time you want to play a prank on me, don't label the tape joke on Joey. And Michelle's like, 
oops. And it's like, Michelle, seriously? Nobody needs to school her on how to play a practical joke on somebody because you don't, you're basically giving away the evidence. But then again, Joey could have not been chipper when he came downstairs when everyone else was wondering why it, they were so tired when it was 8 a.m., even though it was actually like 5 a.m. That, that's how you do it. You pretend to be as tired as everyone else, and then you act like you're on their side, and then you let them have it and say April Fool's. Yeah, Joey's looking at the tape, and it's got, like, one of those white stickers across it where you would put the title of whatever you're taping on there, and it says, Joke on Joey. You know, that's some pretty good um, penmanship for a seven-year-old. All glare at Michelle, Becky, Jesse, and Danny. Like, they're all giving her, like, a glare slash stink eye. To, as Joey walks away, he tosses the tape to Jesse and says, Guys, next time, don't mess with the king. He walks in through the doorway into the kitchen, and somebody has a bucket of water, and it lands on him. <laughs> and they're like, April Fools! He is soaked. His entire, Joey's entire shirt his head is sopping. I mean, his shirt is, like, glistening, and you can see the reflection in the back of his, of the back of his shirt. You can see the reflections of the stage lights that would be above. <laughs> hey, Jojo, time for the big lottery drawing. Okay, shall turn up the TV and then turn on the tape. Joey, Joey, be with your family, the people who love you. What's everybody doing here? You guys are always telling me how dumb I am for buying lottery tickets. Oh, not today, Joey. We are here to cheer you on. Yeah, it is a lucky day, buddy. Shelter the <laughs> Here are the numbers in this week's Super Lotto $50 million jackpot. 14. Yeah, I actually got one. 5. Yes. 29. Yes. 41. <laughs> yes. 23. Oh my god, yes.
mercy, Joey's ticket actually won. I can't believe I fell for this when I originally watched it. <laughs> well, of course. Okay, anyway. you know what they say. April Fools! He got them good. <laughs> the tape was in there the whole time. How would you just yank that uh, out of there? got us again. Pressing press button. a little hand next time. Don't label it joke on Joey. Way to go, Michelle. Gang, <laughs> <laughs> next time, don't mess with the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the next scene, it's nighttime, pretty much everyone's gone to bed. We see DJ having some tea. She's still she's struggling with her decision on what to do with her relationship with Steve. And you know, it is sad because we have I mean, I'm going to say definitely I did cry when Danny and Vicky broke up, but because I think I'm closer I was closer in age to DJ and Steve, and by closer in age, I mean they were like maybe five, six years older than me. But I felt it more because it seems like there was more to the breakup than, you know, because with Danny and Vicky, they're two adults that are living in two different, like halfway across the, you know, the country from each other as far as the U.S. and everything like that, and they're just unable to make it work with and it feels like we've gotten more of Steve in over the course of the season. Let me see how many episodes Steve has been in over Vicky. Of course, before I say, um, Gail Edwards, who plays Vicky, and Scott Wanger, who plays Steve, have another connection together outside of Full House. He was Steve Taylor. Scott played another Steve. He played Steve Taylor on a show called The Family Man, which the premise to this show sounds just like Full House. A widowed fire chief tries to raise his four children with help from his father-in-law. And there's a picture here with Gail Edwards. So she must maybe be the love interest of... I'm guessing, hold on a second, let me go back. Yeah, so he's got to play, like, maybe the oldest son. And I'm thinking that this um, Gail Edwards, oh my gosh, is this the kid who played Brendan? On Was it Brendan or Brendan from Step by Step? I think this is that kid. Oh, oh, he plays Gail, this boy, Josh Byrne, who plays Patrick Kozak, plays Gail Edwards' son. Okay, oh, I get, okay, interesting, yeah, let me, yes, this kid was on, Brendan was his name on Step by Step, okay, gotcha, interesting. But yeah, that's so weird, it's like you go down this little adventurous rabbit hole down at Scott Weinger's. IMDb, and you discover that he and Gail Edwards had another show together, 
Well, it looks like the Family Man only lasted from 1990 to 91. All right, so let's see. It was in one of the police shark attack. Yeah, okay. Um, he did a lot of Aladdin. Here we go. Okay, so 50 episodes, which is interesting because, okay, it says Steve Hale slash Steve Peters. We only saw him as Steve Peters in the Sisters in Crime season 5 episode of Full House. So, in Fuller House, he is like in 53 episodes. So, three more over Full House. Okay, so let's look at Gail Edwards on here and see how many she had been in. I don't think she's been in nearly as many as him. I really don't think so. Hold on. Sorry. I know, I know. Oh, she was in two, yep. Vicky Lars in two of 18 episodes versus Steve's 50. Okay, yes. Yeah, so we definitely, I mean, think about it. 50 episodes? That's almost two seasons worth of episodes. And we got attached to Steve. I mean, not that we didn't to Vicky, but we saw Steve and DJ through quite a lot, you know. Also, when he got his own apartment and she, when DJ went over there and everything like that, and just the prom episode where Steve's ex kisses him and DJ sees it. And just they've been through so much, and then just it just felt so sad and shattering. It's like. You grew, if you're a 90s kid, you grew up with Steve and DJ as one of those, kind of like, I mean, would you, I would not call Steve and DJ's relationship any comparable by any means <clears throat> to Brenda and Dylan from 90210. Those were a whole different bag of worms there. Definitely. But... DJ and Steve did have their share of ups and downs as well. And remember the episode, I haven't covered it yet, but the prying game where Stephanie thinks Steve is cheating on DJ. There's, you know, that too. I can see why DJ is having trouble sleeping. I mean, if... And Danny comes in probably just to... You know, it's after midnight, probably, he's just like, gosh, I'm really hungry for something, or I'm thirsty, or whatever. So he sees that DJ's up. And I gotta say, I think that DJ and Danny's talk, because Danny just went through this with Vicky. He is the prime person where DJ can learn a little bit from, from Danny's experience. Granted, they're on two different... Their scenarios are completely different from each other, but still, he just did go through a breakup of a long-term relationship. So yeah, they're going to sit down and they're going to have tea. I gotta say, I mean, I, I love Danny's relationship with all his daughters, but I especially really love his... It seems like he is more closer with, with DJ than the other... And, and really with Michelle's relationship with Michelle is mainly just spoiling her. But... Honestly, the relationship that doesn't get enough play on the show is Stephanie and Danny. You really don't, outside of I'm not DJ, I'm really trying, uh, Gotta Dance might be another one, I guess. But I just, I can't think. 
of any real, I mean, help me out here. Send me an email and say, yeah, forget, you forgot this one episode where this happened with, and, oh, um, 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 I'm, I just thought of it, yeah. Um, Aftershocks, that was a big one with Danny and Stephanie when she is really clingy to him because, you know, due to the loss of her mother and this big major earthquake that happened, she's scared she's going to lose her dad. So I that is probably the most biggest Danny Stephanie episode. But I just, it just seems like they're, it, I just wish that he had equal time with all three of his daughters. I mean, mainly... More Stephanie, because we got plenty of Danny and Michelle. Well, actually, if you think about it, we got more Michelle Jesse episodes than we get. I mean, one comes to mind, Crimes and Punishment, or the one, um, the one where Michelle gets punished finally. Yeah. So Danny's like, well, are you okay? And she says, Steve and I had a fight. And Danny sits down in the chair next to her, and she explains, it just feels like we're not on the same wavelength anymore. Which I get it, and I honestly think it's because he's in college, and she's still in high school. They're in two totally different worlds. Which I'm not saying you can't make it work, but I think maybe... And maybe I could even say maybe they've gotten a little too comfortable I mean could you call the relationship being in kind of a little bit of a rut maybe and DJ asked Danny like is this is that how it felt when you and Vicky broke up and Danny's like well yeah I mean sometimes people in relationships just go off in different directions and maybe in a way with Steve's new you know when with him in college and just exploring all these different opportunities like with the film class and everything maybe DJ's wondering where do I fit in Steve's world where do I fit in this relationship with him like where are where am I in his set of priorities and DJ tells Danny I think that's the problem with me and Steve and DJ explains you know when she was on that mountain something inside of me changed Maybe it's a part of her wanting to feel more independent. And she says, I just realized that I've been with Steve for so long that I was forgetting who I was. I mean, that's important in a relationship. You have to have your own identity outside of it. That I think that's especially like when she first started dating Steve and the episode Lovers and Other Tanners, Danny explained, like, I understand that Steve's an important part of your life, but he doesn't have to be your whole life where you're completely wrapped up in him. Because even in a relationship, you, sh you still should be able to allow yourself time to grow as an individual and take on new interests. And not feel that your relationship with that person is suffering. You should be able to manage all of those things. And Danny's like, well, you know, maybe you have to talk to Steve and try to make him understand how you're feeling. And DJ says, you know, you're right. You know, it's nice having these talks without being in trouble. And Danny's like, well, you know, if you want, I could ground you for a couple weeks. <laughs> 
But I do like these talks that they have. And I think out of the three girls, like I said, I think that his bond is strongest with DJ. Maybe it could be because she is his firstborn. I don't know. But remember when she was going through the mega crisis, you know, where aware is my little girl gone? I haven't covered it for the podcast, but he even says to Becky, I, she used to tell me everything. I feel like I'm losing my little girl. And, it, like, even in the Lovers and Other Tanners, who was the first person that Danny told that he told Vicky he, he, that he loved her? He went right to DJ. But then again, because of the episode and the situation and everything, and DJ dealing with saying she loves Steve and everything, the episode called for that. But it seems like he and DJ are the ones that are always having these heart-to-hearts where he's not. It almost seems like he's speaking to her as an equal and not just a daughter. Just having some tea and thinking. Oh, what a coincidence. I was just thinking about having some tea. So, uh, you okay? Steve and I had a fight. Uh. It just feels like we're not on the same wavelength anymore. Is that how it felt when you and Vicky broke up? Sometimes people in relationships just go off in different directions. Yeah, I think that's the problem with me and Steve. And when I was on that mountain, something inside of me changed. I just realized that I've been with Steve so long that I was forgetting who I was. Mm. Well, maybe you have to, you know, talk to Steve and try to make him understand how you're feeling. Right. You know, it's nice having these talks without being in trouble. <laughs> well, to make you feel any better, I could ground you for a couple weeks. <laughs> You're the best. Oh, I am, aren't I? <laughs> All right, we get to the mountain. We got DJ, who seems to be an expert now, still wearing shorts, which Steve's wearing jeans and a kind of a cream off-white hoodie. But, I mean, he's wearing, I mean, honestly, what is the protocol for when you're going, do they say, hey, wear shorts, or do they say wear jeans, whatever you feel comfortable in? I'm just curious. Okay, so I asked the question, can you wear shorts while mountain climbing? For some people, climbing can only be done in shorts. While they might not protect the legs as much as pants or knickers, Shorts are going to be a much cooler option during the summer months that can make a huge difference if climbing for hours at a time. Below is a look at some of the most popular climbing shorts. Oh, they actually have climbing shorts. Okay. Uh, Ultimate list. What to wear when you go mountain climbing. Headgear is critical. Let's see. Climb tall peaks. Let's see. All right. Headgear. Upper body layers, protective layers for arms and hands, lower body layers, footwear. Footwear definitely, I can imagine, has got to be very, very important because you want to have shoes that can grip as you're climbing up the mountain. Let's see, headgear is critical for preventing heat loss or frostbite in the cold. Okay, preventing heat exhaustion or heat in, heat stroke in the heat. Okay, 
preventing sunburns on your face and neck, preventing injuries from falls or falling objects. Yeah, I mean, this, this website is called ClimbTallPeaks.com. does give you a general idea of what to bring with you. It also says to pack light because you're going to be having a pack on your back, and if you're climbing, you don't want that extra weight on you. As you're, and also to prepare for different types of weather, whether it's raining, whether it's going to be really hot. I guess the higher you go up the mountainscape, the temperature could drop. So another thing to be cautious of. So, yeah, it just really depends. I mean, if you're like Steve and you want to wear jeans going up the mountain, good. If you want to just uh, wear shorts, you can do that too. Because I think John slash Kiana was wearing uh, a windbreaker and some shorts that look like they're intended for going out and, you know, rock climbing, mountain climbing, stuff like that. So again, DJ is just exhilarated. She's, well, what do you think if she pulls Steve up? Steve, who's like out of breath, he's like, I think there should be an elevator there. He's really, and to think that, you know, Steve's a wrestler, you know, he's, he's an athlete and stuff, and he's, you know, out of breath. Well, wrestling is so different from mountain climbing, I'm sure. And DJ is so excited. She's like, Steve, come on, look around. She's trying to get him, I think she's trying to get him feeling exactly what she's feeling right now, and he just isn't. Okay, this is going to be the same spot for the episode, The Trouble with Danny, which I haven't covered for the podcast yet, but I think I might do that one for Bob Saget's birthday. And I was just thinking, because the landscape is the same with the with the, the trees, the rocks, the the grass and stuff like that, the, the plants. And TJ is just like, don't you feel exhilarated? I mean, don't you feel overwhelmed? And Steve's like, well... I kind of feel like a chili dog. Well, I can imagine climbing up that uh, rock face there is going to make you probably hungry. <laughs> she didn't even bring water for them or anything. I mean, come on. And she's like, don't you feel anything? And Steve's like, well, you know, I feel like a chili dog. And DJ is like, you know, forget it. And she's like, like, hey, look, I'm kidding, okay? And... DJ's like, no, but I'm serious. And he looks at her till they're, you know, standing on level ground. And he's asking her, what's the problem? And she says, it's us. This is a good definition. I like how she says, you know, it's like somebody let the air out of our relationship. That is a good definition. And she asks him, she asks, don't you feel it? And Steve's like, well, I'll admit that things aren't what they used to be at the beginning. But, but hey, I was willing to never bring it up. Of course, I mean, I get it. Steve's trying to, you know, make light. You know, they're teenagers. You know, this is... So, at least Steve identifies that he agrees with DJ. Yes, their relationship has faltered a little bit. And he, he's seen it. I mean... Just because he's in college and taking classes doesn't mean he doesn't notice that their relationship is kind of uh, not where it once was. And she tells him, well, not talking about it's not going to make it go away. And she says, 
there's something missing between us. And I can even say maybe I haven't noticed this like in other episodes. You know, I've seen the episode so many times. We've never noticed a disconnect really between Steve and DJ. You know, he was always there. They're always kissing on each other, hugging each other and everything. There was no, I don't think there was a moment where they just seemed at odds with each other. Even I can imagine, even though Steve admits like he noticed that things were a little different between them, you know, he never showed it and how he acted with her. So even in a way, maybe this feels like maybe this, all of a sudden she's bringing this up now, that may, it does kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, for us the viewers, I think it definitely comes out of nowhere for us. Like, we weren't expecting this. I mean, if they hadn't done previews to, here's what's coming in two weeks on Full House, and if they hadn't done a description, I mean, although the title alone gives away, like, Love on the Rocks, which has two different meanings, because when they break up, they're on, you know, the top of a mountain. And also Love on the Rocks also meaning relationship may be on shaky ground. There's another, yeah. So Steve sits down and he says, you know, I was thinking about that in L.A., and he, he looks at her when, because she's still standing and he's sitting, he says, we're not connecting like we used to, you know? I honestly think that once he graduated and was out of high school and then he's living on his own and everything, I think that must have been when it started. Like I said, they are in two different worlds now. He's two years older, he's got different priorities. I think that distance, because she wasn't seeing him every day. I'm granted she was only in, what, one or two of his classes in school. But other than that, and then they were seeing each other, you know, before he went to wrestling practice and everything. You know, she'd help him with the schoolwork. Well, he's in college now, and she can't, you know, help him with the schoolwork any, anymore and everything like that. And he's probably, you know, even when he said, I'm going to L.A., and DJ said, well, that's during my school vacation, you know, or spring break or whatever. I thought we'd have time to hang out. That's just more and more time away from each other and to kind of sit back and look and examine your in their, you know, relationship. That gave them time apart to be able to really look like, okay, something is going on. How do we fix this? Or even do we want to fix it? And Steve's like, you know, but we still, you know, we still have fun. We get to hang out, talk to each other. The DJ says, yeah, but where's the heat? You know, where's that passion that we used to have? I think sometimes, like even Becky said in the beginning, it's all hot because it's new and exciting. But I think with time, that slowly... I'm not going to say it fades completely, but I think over time you have to work at creating that heat, creating that passion, doing, you know, surprise outings and different things and to try to build that momentum of, of heat and passion. Eventually you've got to work at that again. I, I don't know. It just it depends on the couple. And what Steve says about talking, hanging out, and having fun what DJ says here makes sense. She says, I mean, what you're talking about, Steve, is a friendship. She says, it's not a romance. 
Oh my god, this gets me. And of course, the the score underneath of him saying this really, really make him crying right now. He asks, so what are you saying? We should break up? And I'm sure this takes him by surprise. He wasn't expecting it to go this route. I mean, he probably thought, you know, we'll talk about, you know, what's going on and you know, maybe just, you know, communicating might help. But apparently, you know, that's not enough for DJ. I think that's why sometimes parents think, you know, go out and meet, go out with other people. Don't just tie yourself to one person because things can sometimes get stale in a relationship. They can. And that's why they say, you know, maybe see other people so you can see, so that way you get an idea of the traits that you want in a partner. And Steve says, that's a scary thought. And DJ says, I know. She looks at Steve and says, it scares me too. And I love this. As DJ says, I mean, you're the first guy that I ever loved. DJ stands up and starts walking towards the you know, front of the mountain, she says, you know, but climbing this mountain was really scary, and then I did it. I think, in a way, the metaphor for, you know, I was climbing, you know, I was really scared to climb this mountain, and then I did, and I think, in a way, this is a metaphor for, you know, in a way that she and Steve maybe, hmm, trying to, how am I trying to word this? I think, them together, you know, it's comforting in a point, but then I think the idea of her breaking up and finally being independent and going out in the world, that is also scary. Especially if you put in at least, you know, a year's worth of time, too. That's a long, in teenage years, that's a long time with one, to be in, with one person. And she says, you know, climbing this mountain was really scary. Until I actually did it. And then it was incredible. And Steve gets up, stands up and goes over to DJ and he's like, I understand, DJ. I mean, you're my first love too. And Steve, what he says makes sense. He says, but we can't stay together just because we're afraid to break up. Which makes sense. It's almost like saying like some people shouldn't just stay married because they're afraid to get divorced. Or they're staying married for the sake of their children, it's like, that's not helping anybody. Or people like, I stay with this person because I don't want to be alone. I don't know, and I'm not judging anyone who's been in any of these situations, but... And DJ says, yeah, because if we did, we could both be missing out on other incredible things. Yeah, DJ says, yeah, because if we did stay together because we were afraid to break up, we could both be missing out on other incredible things. And what will those be? Dating Nelson and Viper in season 8? I felt, I mean, Nelson was, he was bland, He's he was okay, but he was all about, you know, spending money on DJ, which I, like, he thinks that money is a way to win a girl's heart, or whatever. But even then, I guess she had dated him for the summer, which we never saw, and then she broke up with him. It's like, she is not, ugh. 
I just think of like that passion and that heat that she's talking about. I'm like, is that what she was looking for and she supposedly might have found maybe in Viper? I don't know. There's nothing wrong with someone wanting to explore other relationships in hopes of finding what they're maybe missing with another person. I don't, but, I don't know, I think with DJ and Steve, it's just, that time was not their time. They needed to find themselves before they could find each other again. And finally be whole. And Steve says, yeah, but we'd lose something incredible too. Us. And DJ says, no, we'll never lose us. We'll always be friends. Steve smiles a sad smile as he says I hope so and Steve says because you're the best friend I've ever had and they hug and it's so sad and they break apart and DJ asks did we just break up and Steve says yeah I think so why do I get the feeling that Steve feels more broken up I'm about this than DJ does she's still sad about it and you know this is hard for her and I'm not trying to put down her feelings oh, oh she doesn't. I'm like no I'm not trying to do that it's just visibly Steve looks really heartbroken and they're both kind of standing there awkwardly as she asks well what's next and Steve says I guess we should just um we should just head down face the world and Steve says, but, uh, is it okay if we, uh, take the trail this time? There was a trail to get up there? Are you serious? <sighs> I think the only reason she took him up the, the rock, the side of the rock like that was so that, or the side of the mountain was so that way she hoped that Steve would feel, have that same feeling that she had when she first climbed that rock. And when he didn't, it just seemed like she was just so disappointed. It just seemed to cement her statement about them not being on the same wavelength anymore. So DJ turns to face, you know, us, the audience, and look out along uh, the mountainscape and, you know, the skyline. And Steve asks, DJ, are you coming? And she looks at him and says, Go ahead, I'll catch up. And he asks, are you sure? And she says, yeah, I just need a minute. Like, this is, this is, oh my gosh, I can imagine that car ride back home is gonna be clearly silent and miserable. Like, you just broke up and now you have to drive home with the person you broke up with. That is gonna be so awkward. And she says, I'll be okay. She looks at us, the audience, as she's looking out over the skyline. She says, I'll be okay. And she will. You know, she'll date other guys and she'll realize deep down in her heart that, you know, one day, you know, she and Steve will be an item again. I mean, we can't discount her marriage to Tommy Sr. Fuller. Tommy Fuller Sr. We can't. We can't do that. That's not fair to him. Well, what do you think? I think that there should be an elevator there. Come on, look around. Don't you feel exhilarated? Don't you feel overwhelmed? Don't you feel anything? 
love too, but we can't stay together just because we're afraid to break up. Yeah, but if we did, we could both be missing out on other incredible things. Yeah, but we'd lose something incredible too. Us. No, we'll never lose us. We will always be friends. I hope so. She's the best friend I ever had. We should, um, we should just head down and face the world. But, uh, is it okay if we uh, take the trail this time? Sure. DJ, you coming? Go ahead, I'll catch up. You sure? Yeah, I just need a minute. I'll be okay. so that was the episode and thus concluding the breakup double feature I think for best outfit of the episode is definitely going to go to it's going to go to Steve his off-white cream hoodie from when he and DJ break up I really liked that 
I think worst outfit, I'm just going to choose Stephanie's, which was the orange and green plaid shirt. Just, I didn't care for that. Yeah, Tanner's teachable moments, especially when it comes to Joey and the prank that he pulled. If you're going to play an April Fool's Day prank, don't, like, give yourself away by being all, like Joey did with being all chipper when he came down. It's like, no, I would have played off being tired and sleepy like the rest of them and then turned it around and said April Fool's. Because I think they are all too tired to realize just how chipper Joey was. Like, uh, or I don't know. Um, in the case of Steve and DJ, as far as the Tanner teachable moment, communication is key. If you're with someone for a while and you just feel like things aren't the same like they used to be like in the beginning, because that's just it. No relationship is going to say... Like, it, it's not always going to be new like that. So you have to talk to your significant other and just see if you guys, if you're in a rut or what's going on. And see if there's something that either of you can do to, you know, mix things up a little bit or something. Or maybe you feel that it's best to see other people, you know, be independent and, you know, Make changes for yourself. And I, I've never been in a breakup. You know, I can imagine they, they had to be awful. They had to be hard for both parties. So this communication is definitely key in all relationships. Communication and understanding. Now, as far as April goes, if you, I did let on to my situation in the previous, you know, breakup double feature episode, The Perfect Couple. Kind of going forward right now, with I do plan to do an episode for Candace Cameron's birthday in April, but it is really hard to do podcasts right now because of the setup that we're in this hotel, and there's just, there's not a lot of time to be able to do these podcasts. So I'm going to just, you know, do the best that I can. I really won't get back to my regular schedule until we are finally back in our apartment and things are going, you know, you know, I have my setup back where it needs to be. So just please bear with me. <laughs> I, I know it's just lack of full house of uh, podcast episodes, but I just, yeah, we need to, we gotta get a little bit of normalcy back here before so I can get back in my rhythm and stuff. So just bear with me. Things are going to be a little sporadic here and there. So I will probably most likely, we'll just see how April is. Most likely, so I know I'm definitely going to do DJ's 40th birthday episode from Fuller House. That'll be the Candace Cameron Bray birthday episode. So I did want to look at some. April Fool's pranks done wrong. One, um, the Great Blue Hill Eruption. This happened in 1980. A Boston TV news producer, Homer Siley? Silly? Okay. Produced a television broadcast about a hill in Milton, Massachusetts that had begun oozing lava and spewing flames. He included fake warnings from the then-President Jimmy Carter and real footage from Mount St. Helens eruptions that implied the Massachusetts volcano had fully erupted. 
April Fool read the card at the end of the segment, but hundreds of panicked citizens flooded law enforcement phone lines. Anyway, and Silly was promptly fired for failing to exercise good news judgment and breaching FCC regulations, even though that prank didn't go over so well. Whoppers for Southpaws. On April 1st, 1998, Burger King announced it would now offer a version of the Whopper that had been carefully designed for left-handed folks. The joke was on Burger King, however, when stores across the country were flooded with orders for left-handed Whopper. For the left-handed Whopper. Oh, jeez. Alright, so everyone, please have a great rest of March. The podcast will be back in April for Candace Cameron Bray's birthday episode, the Fuller House DJ's 40th birthday episode. And then I still am doing the final movie in the Sarah Plain and Tall trilogy, Winter's End, that will come out towards the end of this month. Also, please continue to be safe out there. And if you'd like to email the podcast, you can do so at omhcfhfhpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, just jump on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a a review. All five-star reviews get the podcast more noticed by other Full House fans like yourselves. Bye-bye, everybody.